Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Booster Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hitchick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, Update 87. Actually, I guess I should say the final episode of Who's Who, Update 87. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irony Mobile Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net. How you doing, buddy? It's the end of an era, Shag. It's the end of I- an era. I tell you, I think we're going to have to take another victory lap after this one. I think so. <laughs> well, it's not quite the achievement of 26 issues. This one's only been five. But, well, uh, but, it's, but it's 31 total, right? Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's if, true. I'm, if I'm any judge of math, it's 31. And it's 1987, my favorite year of DC Comics. So, hmm. Well, I have a lot to say about this episode and this issue and stuff. But you know what? The first thing we need to do, we need to thank our sponsors. So why don't we go ahead and do that first? Folks, this episode of the Who's Who podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? So one of the listings in this issue is the Royal Flush Gang, and so I picked something that features the Royal Flush Gang, which mm-hmm. is Justice League International, Volume 1, Trade Paperback. <laughs> um, the- um, hang on. Um... We've done this before, where we've accidentally picked the same thing, mm-hmm. but normally I have a backup. I don't have one this time. Well, so, okay. everyone really has to buy this one, because we've both picked it. It's in the, it's okay. in the rarely, no, rarely read iTunes agreement that everyone signs, that if the <laughs> co-hosts both recommend the book, you have to buy it. So everyone listening, you have to purchase this from... Well, Instagram. assuming they check that box that says I agree to all the terms. Well, you're not using iTunes if you haven't. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Just League International Volume 1 is, of course, by Keith Giffen, James DeMatteis, Kevin McGuire, Al Gordon. It collects Justice League 1 to 6 and Just League International number 7. 192 pages, normal price $17.99. Instruct trade price $9.89, 45% off. You want to make something of it? <laughs> that is a hell of a great recommendation. Now, you picked it for the Royal Flush Gang. I have my own reasons for picking it. I'll, uh, I'll, you know what? I'll share it with the group in just a minute. So, folks, definitely go out there and pick out Justice League International Volume One. It is some of the most fun comics you will ever read, and you will want to pick up volumes two and three and four and five and six immediately afterwards. So, again, uh, please visit InStockTrades.com for all your trade paperback needs. We'd like to thank them for their sponsorship. So. Um, the reason I picked it, Rob, the reason I picked Justice League International, have you heard the word on the street? I have. I read all 73 comments. <laughs> it, it, it really did get a little explosive on Facebook and Twitter. Um, that's right, folks. There is finally going to be a podcast dedicated to the Justice League International. I have stepped up and decided it is time. I got tired of waiting for people. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. I uh, was chatting with our buddy Doug Zoisha, and he, he finally lit the spark that made me get off my butt and make this happen. So that's right. Coming first quarter of 2016, a brand new monthly podcast, an index show following Justice League International. It's called Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast. <laughs> so it'll be me each month with a rotating, well, I shouldn't say rotating, changing, ever-changing 
uh, cast of co-hosts. So uh, folks from the podcasting community, other folks I know, some new voices. Each month we'll have a new person helping me do the show. And I'm going to start off with Justice League Internet, or Justice League number one. There's been a lot of questions on it. A lot of people ask me, am I starting with Legends? Am I starting with Justice League Detroit? Am I starting with Shazam and New Beginning? There's a lot of places I could start. But the fact is, people are going to come to listen to that show because they love the JLI. So that's where I'm going to start. Rather than wait, making them wait till like the sixth or seventh episode to get into those, we're going to start with number one in the first episode, and we'll just go forward from there. And, and we can cover all the other stuff later. I've got this plan to do uh, in-between episodes called Meanwhile Episodes, where we'll cover maybe some of the cartoons or some of those, like the legends or some of the um, action figures, you know, whatever. And uh, anyway, that's going to be first quarter 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and I can't wait. I'm so excited. Judging by how resentful you were that it took me 20 episodes to get you on Film and Water, I'm guessing that I will not be on the show until episode 20 at the least, if, if at all. Um, doesn't Aquaman play a role in issue 33 or something like that? 35. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that might be your first okay. appearance on the show. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little bitter. You could say that. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, I've talked a lot about JLI, but you know, really, we're here to talk about the final installment in Who's Who, Update 87, Volume 5. Now, this sucker uh, bears the cover date of December 1987, but if you want a fresh mint copy that still smells of newsprint, and if you hold it with greasy fingers, it's going to come off on your hands, you've got to go back to September 1st, 1987. That's right. Warm up your Rip Hunter's time machine and head back to uh, September 1st, 1987. Oh, timely reference. Yeah, you like that? You like that? Get it? Timely? Time, timely. Wah, wah, wah. So, folks, if this is your first episode of the Who's Who podcast, just to give you a little bit of background, as you read a Who's Who comic, um, at least every other issue except for this one, uh, every page features a full-page uh, entry for each character or team. You've got a, a color image of the team in the foreground. In the background, there's a single color, which is called a serpent, and it's, it's demonstrating something about the character. It usually shows them without their mask. It shows them demonstrating their powers, their origin, or something about the character. Then you get into their... Uh, their personal history, gives you their, like, their height, their weight, their powers, all that jazz. It's just kind of the index, encyclopedic type of information. And as we go through it, our goal is to describe the pages in such a way that you don't really need the issue in front of you. Because unlike some people, I, I don't expect you to have a photographic memory. So I don't want you flipping through the comic while you're running down the halls of your high school or college. And I don't want you to trip over people and injure people. And it's just, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. So we, uh, we're going to describe them for you, but some of the pages we're going to post on our Tumblr page. Rob, what's that Tumblr page? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Perfect. And when you're out there loving it on the Tumblr and you want to talk about this podcast on the social medias, please use our hashtag, which is poundfwpodcast. Be sure to use that. That would be fan-damn-tastic. We would really appreciate that. Now, I said that uh, every issue except for this one is like that because once you get to page 25 – in this particular issue, and only in this issue, at least so far, it becomes an appendix. And it's just giant slabs of text telling you how these characters no longer exist in DC continuity. So we'll talk about that when we get to it. But I mentioned, again, this issue was on the shelves on September 1st, 1987. Rob, did you know some cool comics that came out that same month? No, but I'm guessing you're going to tell me. <laughs> I am. I pared down the list a little bit from previous episodes, folks. I'm going to touch on the ones that relate specifically to this issue rather than telling you all of them. Because there are some cool stuff out there I'm not going into. Yes, I'm not going to mention Slash Maraud that was on the shelves that month. But darn, darn it, it, I wish I could. So running through the Superman titles real quick. Action Comics 595 when he fought Silver Banshee. Adventures of Superman 435 and 436. The latter one being a Millennium crossover. Oh, that's right. Oh, We've wow. Millennium, oh, Rob. <laughs> Superman 12 and 13, which is a Lore of the Mars issue, and Millennium. 
And then you get into the Batman books, Batman the New Adventures, 414 and 415, Millennium. Um, check this out. This was the month that Batman's Son of the Demon hardcover came out. Hmm. So this is the, be, you know, I guess the beginning of Damian Wayne right here this month. Then Detective 581, which was had multiple Two-Faces. And then you get into books like Booster Gold, which was on issue 24, which was the Millennium one, but also the second to the last issue of Booster Gold. <laughs> I'm a little sniffy, a little sad about that. Firestorm number 66 and 67, Millennium Crossovers. Uh, Green Lantern number 219 and 220. Uh, I'm sorry, Green Lantern Core, I should say. 219 and 220, Millennium Crossovers, obviously. Justice League International. Woohoo! Number 8 and number 9. So number 8 is Moving Day. I love that, that cover. Everyone loves Moving Day. And then number 9, Millennium, of course. Legion of Superheroes, 41 and 42. Millennium, where we find out about Laurel Kent. <gasps> oh, goodness. Then check this out. I didn't even know this came out. Same thing this month. This doesn't. This doesn't relate to this issue, but it relates to the listener feedback we're gonna get to. Lords of the Ultra Realm Special Number One, Rob. <laughs> you gotta go pick it up, man. <laughs> uh, and the royalties just come rolling in. I tell you. And then uh, Millennium issues one through three. You know why they did Millennium Weekly? Uh, so people wouldn't notice that it was terrible. Correct. There's no way that someone would stick around for eight months. That is exactly right, sir. New Teen Titans, 38 and 39. That's the Baxter series, of course. Outsiders, 26 and 27. Millennium Crossover. Spectre, number nine. Suicide Squad, number eight, which was that personal file issue that was so good. It gets into the characters and what's going on with them. Warlord, 124 and 25, which was very near the end of the series. The Watchmen trade paperback came out this month. Isn't that a cool? Okay. Very fitting. And uh, Wild Dog number four, the final issue of Wild Dog. Quite possibly the last time he's ever seen. I wouldn't know. I didn't bother to look. Now, he appeared in Action Comics Weekly after that. Oh, that's right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, we've we've talked about the dates. We've talked about all that. I think it's time to get into it, folks. Mm-hmm. The cover here features the, the side that faces you on the stands features. That's right. Who would you expect to be featured on the cover of the final issue of Who's Who Update 87? The most important characters in the DC Universe. That's right. Vanguard, Strike Force Cobra, and somebody cosplaying the Spectre. Yep. What did you think of this cover, Rob? Uh, I don't... It, it's it's, okay. it's kind of okay. Uh, oh, we I, didn't say the artist. I'm sorry. Pablo Marcus. Yeah. Isn't he, an, isn't he normally an eager? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think he did a lot of penciling for the like black and white magazines in the 70s and stuff, so... Um, yeah, I mean, some of it's not bad. Uh, the Titano, I, that is, Titano was supposed to be a giant gorilla, or a giant chimp. Yeah. And that does not look anything like, I don't know if Pablo's ever seen one of those, because that's not (laughs) what it looks like. Um, I do like, uh, Rip Hunter sitting on Night Owl's, uh, uh, whatever the name of that, the Owl Ship. I think that's really cool. I mean, again, I know I just said it last month, but it's like how many, how many times do you really get to see the Watchmen characters cross over with any of the DC characters? Um, I do find it interesting. They are in a very particular space. I don't know where this is, but mm-hmm. it's but it's very particularly drawn. They're in some sort of satellite or some sort of high tech because you see like a wall yeah. with all this paneling. Nobody else really bothered to do too much of that. They would draw kind of generic rock formations. Uh, in Tom and Farland's case, they would try and draw some generic rock formations, but right, they just made it look right. like a big pile of crap. Okay, um, you beat but, on Todd last here, month. Okay, yeah. Um, but th- this is a very specific setting. I don't again, I don't know what it is, but it looks like, looks pa- like a... Pablo had something in mind. Looks like the monitor satellite. It does, kind of, yeah. Uh, I'm frustrated at the fact that Robin is pointed away from the camera. That's like that's not what you're supposed to do on these Who's Who covers. That's twice now. That's twice that Jason Todd, Robin, has been screwed on the cover of Who's Who. 
Because remember last time he was like a, a little tiny thing. He should have been the featured character on that cover. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. a big argument between Robin and Red Tornado and all that business we had. We had a great debate. Remember that? We had audio mm-hmm. clips and everything. Anyway, uh, and here, or again, Robin is, it's, it's like a side half profile shot of him stuck in the bottom left corner of the, of the front cover. It looks terrible. Yeah, Robin really should be the main character. Oh, and the other thing I noticed is for the Watchmen again, you see Dr. Manhattan, and he's in his tunic, which he only wears briefly in the series because I guess you can't have, like, a little blue weenie on the Who's Who cover. So <laughs> he's wearing a costume that he really hardly ever wore actually in Watchmen. Well, didn't he wear that when he was actually part of the team? Uh, I think so, yeah. So I guess maybe that's how they're sort of saying it. But, I mean, most for most of the series, he's, he's walking around nude. Since we're talking about the Watchmen, I want to jump in here. Do you notice who's with them? Wild Dog. Well, Wild Dog. Also, Captain Metropolis. Yeah, I know. Who's not one of the Watchmen. Exactly. He's one of the Minutemen. Yeah. And then who's the woman? I don't know who the woman is. That's, that... the older, that's the older Silk Spectre. Is that her? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't she, sure. Yeah, after she stopped being a superhero. Right, the mom. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, you're right. The cover definitely should have been... The, the cover should have been Robin, Superboy, maybe Watchmen, and maybe Reaper. You could, you could argue those two. Oh, I'd Re- say Spectre over Reaper. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Spectre. Yes, of course, Spectre. Yeah. I'm sorry. Because he, he actually is sort of one of the dominant characters. He, not quite as much as Vanguard, but he is pretty <laughs> dominant. Um, I'm sorry. Spectre, Robin, um, and Superboy should have been the three main ones. You could argue Watchmen and Reaper possibly just because of their popularity. But n- it, it, Shockwave, Vanguard, and the Strike Force Cobra. Really? That's what you lead with? Poor Vibe got screwed too. He's way in the back. As did Dr. Savannah, who. You barely even see his head. That's true. Well, Vibe at this point, I think, was sort of considered an embarrassment. I guess so. They think, which is sad because he's a great character, but at the time they felt like he was too much of a, a racial stereotype and was embarrassed by the character and wanted everyone to forget him, I think. Right. He was a member of the Justice League, though. Right. Yeah. You know, first Justice League to ever die in the and, line and of duty. Again, Savannah really gets screwed because, I mean, at one point, Captain Marvel was the biggest selling comic book anywhere ever. Yeah, and he was the main villain, so I think he deserves a little more respect than three quarters of his head, and that's it. So I'm, I'm, if if you can't tell, I'm particularly disappointed in this cover. Uh, last month you said the Todd McFarlane cover was the worst one ever produced. Um, I think you just have some weird irrational hatred of Todd McFarlane, which is fine. Everyone's allowed to have their, um, uh, what do you call those psychoses? But I, I think this one's worse. I think this is possibly the worst cover. I'm, I'm super disappointed. The only things on the, the whole thing, on the whole thing, the only things I really like. Our Superboy, the Rocket Reds, and maybe the Owl Ship. That's about it. It's it's a super disappointment. And I'm usually a cheerleader for these things, you know? Mm-hmm. If I'm disappointed, you know there's a problem. So, you know what? Let's not belabor this anymore. All right. Um, oh, actually, I do want to mention, this is the oh, I know. I just said that, didn't I? This is the only Who's Who cover where the DC bullet is actually on the front panel, not the, not the back panel. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Usually they work it into the design and everything. Yeah, no, not here, yeah. Very strange. All right, so we get into this side. I didn't have much to say in the letters. There was only one letter I really wanted to point out, which was where someone called them and said, now, wait a minute, how come there was no updated Dr. Fate in Update 87? Because Dr. Fate had gone through some major changes. And then they pointed out that he was, in fact, mentioned on the back page where they tell you where you can find the characters, as if he was in the comic. I didn't notice that. That's pretty cool. So apparently, yes, they had originally planned to put the updated Dr. Fate in Who's Who up 80, uh, Update 87, but then they realized they pretty much, since the comic was still being done, the miniseries, if they do this entry, they pretty much have to give away what they're going to do in the miniseries. So they chose not to do it. 
So, uh, but they but they didn't have time to pull him from the back cover. Hmm. I didn't realize that. No, me neither. Uh, anything you want to touch on before we get into the entries? Um, I noticed Bob Greenberger mentions that they were considering doing the whole series all over again. Oh yeah, that's tantalizing. Now, of course, they didn't do that, but that would have been really interesting to. And what a Herculean labor that would have been to start all over again from A to Z. And that would have been neat to see if, like, you know, what characters they would have left off, and they would have had a whole new, maybe not a whole new, but a new generation of artists to pick yeah. from and stuff like that. So I kind of mourn for that, that we never got a second full on, you know, chance for somebody else to draw Captain Fear or the Hillbilly Marvel or whatever. It would have been really interesting. Well, see, I don't think that's what we would have got though. We would have got A through Z of the characters that had been reintroduced in the post yeah, universe. Yeah, they probably never really would have. Yeah. And I think these updates are sort of like these, especially these later issues, the updates, I, this issue, while there's a lot of fun stuff in it, this issue makes it look like who's who's getting a little tired. You know, some of the art's so-so. They're not getting as big a names to do it. Mm. Uh, it looks like it's wearing a little bit thin. And uh, it, what it does is it makes me hunger for the uh, loose leaves. Mm. Pretty bad because the loose leaves are great. The loose leaves was starting over. You talked about that. That's kind of what the loose leaf was. I guess, yeah. I, you know what? You gotta, you're going to have to fall in the loose leaf. You're going to have to. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, first entry, The Reaper by Alan Davis. Uh, it, it's interesting. It, it says Paul Neary in the art, but his name isn't credited on the entry itself. But anyway, this is a character, a major character from Batman Year Two, which had just finished up a little while ago. It's essentially sort of like a, a Batman Dark Reflection character. He's a, a vigilante in Gotham in the 1950s who would actually kill the kill criminals, which is why he, that's the Dark Reflection side of it. And he was dressed in this red studded armor, which is pretty cool. The, design, the idea behind the studs was if someone were to attack him, they would actually hurt themselves going up against his armor. And then he had these giant scythes and this metallic skull face. He looked pretty creepy. And when he was drawn by Alan Davis or Todd McFarlane, he looked great in the comics. Here, the art's a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Reaper is just kind of standing there. And when they did the Serpent, there looks like there's some really cool art in the Serpent, but there's a blue wash over it. So you get a blue wash with a purple ink, and it's very hard to make it out. The, the Serpent's a very big disappointment for me on this one. But in the story, the Reaper was in, uh, in Gotham in the 50s. He left. He came back in the 70s and confronted Batman in his second year as Batman. So it's, um, it's a cool character. I loved the stories with him. The, it's a bit of a bland pose, and uh, he was much more dynamic in the comic. So what, what you got on this one? I like the artwork a lot. I mean, I love Alan Davis. I, the the mm -hmm. blue tone doesn't bother me. The pose, yeah, it's a little boring, but they didn't have as much space as normally we get to do with Alan Davis with the flowing cape. Uh, I like the character, except I hate just inherently the idea of any superheroed people being in Gotham City before Batman. I hate that idea. I like the idea that Batman is the first hero in Gotham City. So I kind of rejected the story when I first heard it. I was like, oh, no, I don't want there to be another guy there before Batman. So, uh, every, uh, yeah, I just sort of reject this character out of hand because cause of the premise. Well, how do you feel about Alan Scott being there in the 40s in Gotham City? Well, that's the Earth 2 Batman, which, of course, no longer exists. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that either. I was kind of like, no, I like, you know, I like Batman being the only. So I like the idea of the Silver Age Batman being the only hero ever in Gotham City until of course the whole Batman family follows him. But uh yeah, I just didn't I just didn't like that idea. And I always thought that year two I'm I know I'm gonna go on this again, but I thought year two was really marred by the fact that the first issue is by Alan Davis and then the second, third and fourth are by Todd McFarlane. I didn't mind. As a kid I loved it. Yeah. So 
Well, if you want more on this era of, uh, of the Reaper, check out uh, probably the best thing right now is Bailey's Batman podcast would be the best place to start. So, And up next is Rip Hunter with my favorite logo of the issue. It, it's just something about that bullet shape around it. It looks so 1950s. It looks awesome. I love it. I guess that's probably the original logo he used, too, I would assume. Yes, it is. And this is a revised entry because we had Rip Hunter in the previous one. And uh, like a lot of Booster Gold characters, we've talked about this previously. Booster Now, I, Rip Hunter, and you're probably like, what are you talking about? Rip Hunter's not a Booster Gold character. At this point in post-crisis, he was a Booster Gold character. As with a lot of other Booster Gold characters, you get a very large image and not a lot of text. So, um, and not a lot had been revealed about Rip at this point. Basically... They had changed it around where he was connected to Booster Gold, he built a time machine, and he traveled to the future, and the laws of time are different now. In the post-crisis universe, you can only time travel using a method once. So you kind of have to change your method of time travel every time you travel in time. Um, it only this, this concept didn't last too terribly long, but it certainly was enough of a roadblock for Rip Hunter. So by the end of this, he's actually working for Booster Gold. Uh, now, the, done by Dan Jurgens, by the way, and John Beatty, um, because again, they had worked on Booster Gold. I, I think they're a good choice for this. I think it looks. I think Rip looks awesome in his sort of, you know, his leather jacket and his his badass gloves. I think he's gonna punch you to gloves, and um, I think it looks really cool. Yeah, I think it looks terrific. John Beatty's a great inker. I mean, he inked some of those Justice Leagues, uh, like 192 through 196, that are like some of my favorites. I was mm. a terrific inker. Yeah, this is a great drawing. And yeah, you can tell that the obviously he's suffered a bit post-crisis because, yeah, he's been around since the 50s, and yet he has virtually, he has barely more history than an outsider. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great drawing by Dan Jurgens and, and John Beatty. It's terrific. And I tell you what, this is the first entry I've seen this way. This was a great thing they did. Under first appearance, it lists both his pre-crisis first appearance and his post-crisis appearance. And I, I, that, for me, that's the way to go. Yeah, I like that. So showcase number 20, uh, and then it says revised, booster gold number 13. That's, that's, a, that's classy. That's a Stay good way classy. to split the difference. Stay classy, who's who. Yeah. Now, uh, for more information on the Rip Hunter, uh, especially this version, I would check out the forthcoming Silver and Gold podcast covering Captain Adam and Booster Gold. Or you can check out the Boosterific uh, blog. So check it out. Up next is Robin, and this is Jason Todd. Art by Dick Giordano. And Jason is standing uh, on a ledge, and he's sort of looking down. His pen's sort of thinking. He's getting ready to jump. In the background, you can see uh, an image of his face without the mask. Then you see him and Batman, and you see him kicking Two-Face in the face. So this is a revised version for Jason Todd. The previous one we saw was the the pre-crisis, or was it? That was the pre-crisis version of Jason Todd, if I remember right, wasn't it? I think so. Where... um, uh, where Killer Croc had hurt his right, family right, and he was right. a circus kid. Um, yeah, I really can't remember which version that was in Who's Who. It might have been the post-crisis version of Who's Who. It doesn't matter. Either way, this one's post-crisis. This is the one where he's boosting Batman's tires. Uh, <laughs> Why do you hate that? It's stupid. You know what? It is what it is. It mentions it here in the listing. that the, like B- Batman really doesn't have a way to keep people from stealing his tires. <laughs> off the Batmobile. Off the Batmobile. Well, that's why they, they probably made a point of that in the Michael Keaton Batman movie when the shield comes around the Batman mm-hmm. car, it specifically covered the tires <laughs> to keep Jason. They didn't want Jason Todd in those movies. Oh. Now, the thing that struck me is when you read this. Now, we're probably only about two years, year and a half from them killing Jason Todd, and the thing everyone knows about Jason Todd is he's reckless, he's over the edge, he's not following the rules. You don't see any of that here in this entry. It's very positive. It's very upbeat. 
it makes you feel like this is, uh, you know, a great character on his way up. You don't get any of that sort of feeling. So, just worth noting, I don't know how early they planted the seeds of Jason being reckless, but it doesn't appear from the Who's Who entry that this was the time to see that. Man, and they, they, do talk, they do talk about uh, him having an encounter with Two-Face, how Two-Face is responsible for the murder of his parents. And it's interesting, Two-Face has been tied um, to Robbins quite a bit. I mean, uh, in the Prodigal storyline, they revealed Dick Grayson had a very early encounter with Two-Face as well, which made him question continue being Robin. Here, Two-Face killed his mom, or, I mean, his parents. Um, so, hmm. It's interesting that when the Rip Hunter listing, they split the difference with basically pre-crisis, post and here they don't do that. They list his first appearance as Batman 408, which is the current version, but not the not the real beginning. Uh, oh, so that's his his post-crisis appearance. Yeah, yeah. They could they really could have said Detective Comics 526, which is his first appearance, mm. and then this one, but they didn't do that. Interesting. Okay. All right. By the way, uh, to be more specific, I apologize. Jason's father was killed by Two Face. The mother we didn't actually comes into play in the death in the family. I forgot about that. So, all right. Bye, Jason. Hope we never see you again. Yeah, good riddance. <laughs> Coming up next is one of my favorite entries in the book, uh, Rocket Red Brigade. First of all, anytime you can fit the word brigade into a superhero team, I'm in. Uh, I, other than Brigade by Rob Liefeld. But it's just a, it's a powerful, cool term that doesn't get used very often. So th this is by Joe Staten and Bob Lewis, and it's one of my favorite Staten images in all of the Who's Who Update 87. It's a team of Rocket Reds flying up on the left-hand side and the right-hand side, and, this, and those are full color, or at least red and white and black, I guess you could say. But the Serpent, you've got them fighting. Um, what are they doing? Oh, they're battling. Who are they battling there? I can't tell. I can't maybe they're putting out can't. a fire? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I can't really, can't really. It's a bunch of smoke. I can't really tell. Yeah, they're doing. I think maybe they're protecting the city. Maybe that's what it is. Looks like it could be a fire they're putting out because they're the heroes. Uh, they're the heroes of the Soviet Union. I mean, they they already had a group of heroes for the Soviet Union, several of them, but they didn't feel like they had enough or a government sponsored enough team that they could control. So, too sad that the Soviet heroes didn't get to be. Uh, what that what they're called? The, oh, people's heroes. People's heroes. Oh, last yes. last issue. Everybody's anyway. favorite. So uh, they, they talk in here on how they took a lot of uh, army volunteers, and I, I personally, I write volunteers in quotes, uh, volunteers to be subjugated or sub subjected to uh, experiments to give them powers. And, and that's something I didn't remember until I read this entry was the people inside the suits, these aren't like Iron Man suits. The people inside the suits actually have powers. The suits are, are just letting them harness the powers and help them uh, focus it. So they also mentioned Posar who is uh, part of Firestorm at this point, the, the Russian half of Firestorm, which is nice, because he actually wore a rocket red suit in his first appearance. They also talk a lot about how Kilowog was part of it, because they kept trying these experiments, and they were failing, and then Kilowog came and helped them, and helped them figure out how to make the suits work, and that's when uh, the Rocket Red Brigade really came together, and it's all because of uh, Kilowog, which are some of my favorite issues of Green Lantern Corps, by the way. And it also talks about how Rocket Red Number 7 is going to join the Justice League International. And also this month, the Rocket Red Number 7 is going to betray the Justice League International and Millennium. Mm. <laughs> so, isn't that convenient? So, for more information, oh, I'm sorry, any any comment, Ron? No, I really don't. I was never a big fan of these guys, and so, I mean, really? I think, yeah, just kind of like, eh, all right, they're fine. I liked that the one guy joined JLI and whatever, but, yeah. And, and then you get this, Dimitri, who was Dimitri. funny after that. Yeah, and this isn't one of my favorite state pieces, so, yeah. Really? Oh, I love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah. He, I, I think he does good stuff with machinery type stuff. It's fun. I, I think I have a soft spot for international characters. Like, I remember reading Contest of the Champions, and they introduced all those national characters, like, you know, Shamrock and all this stuff, and I just thought that was like, wow! 
you know, we always think about American superheroes, but why aren't there superheroes all over the world? This is cool! No, I like that idea, that just these particular guys. I guess because you don't see their faces, they're just sort of these faceless... They look like Transformers, and everyone knows how much I hate the Transformers, so... <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, well, for more information on the Rocket Brigade, um, definitely check out the Justice League International Pwahaha podcast coming next year. Just saying. You know, makes sense. All right, up next, the Royal Flush Gang. Uh, this is a revised entry, really for no reason whatsoever. Um, they did not deserve an updated entry for just squeezing in one paragraph at the end. However, I will say that it's worth it for the Chuck Patton and Roy Richardson artwork, because I do love me some Chuck Patton artwork. You get the team standing there. You've got, you know, King, Queen, Ten, Jack, and then the giant ace in the background. This is the era where Queen and Ten are women. Uh, they're in their spades outfit. The girls look sexy as hell. The guys look tough as hell. And on the left-hand side, you've got the five faces, just like the Justice League would always do in the in the, in the first page of the issue. So it's a fun, fun image. Um, they do the, the history is a lot of it's probably repeated, I bet. But it, things I always like is how they originally started off as clubs and changed to spades. Amos Fortune brought them together, and really the real reason they're in here is because Booster Gold fought the Royal Flush Gang, which got him inducted to the Justice League, uh, Justice League International era, but it was Justice League at the time. And they mentioned Maxwell Lord was sort of involved. You know, the, the thought process in here is Maxwell Lord probably hired the the Royal Flush Gang to go fight and attack so that Booster Gold could make his way into the team because he wanted him on the team. Very manipulative, that Maxwell Lord. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the era where um, Jeff Bridges is king in the Royal Flush Gang. I hadn't really noticed that before, but that's clearly Jeff Bridges there. Um, <laughs> look at it. Look at that drawing. It looks like Jeff Bridges, man. The dude abides. Uh, I always liked the Royal Flush Gang. The, that storyline in JLA 203-205 is one of my favorite stories. Like, it's super cool. And I like that issue of JL just jail i guess where they take booster gold it features a great moment with booster gold punching tens lights out uh, oh yeah that's but funny. We, we don't want to spoil your podcast your precious podcast which we all know you're never going to get to um uh, uh, hero points um so the royal flush gang is- do, do, do you know how much i have to read for a hero points episode i have to read like a 300 page book for each episode of hero points almost, this one 22 almost, pages bro as if you had no idea that that was going to be when you started it I remember when that person put a gun to your head and made you do it. So. I hate you. Okay. Anyway, I always dig the Royal Flush Gang. I, I, yeah, I think them getting an updated listing is probably pushing it a little. But it, as you said, it's worth it for the Chuck Patton artwork because Chuck Patton didn't get to draw classic JLA long enough. And here's his shot to draw some of the villains. So I'm all, I'm okay with it. And and the little headshots, Queen is smoking hot. Oof. And she's redheaded. So, you know, I'm weak for that. Ten's got a club on, or got a spade on each boob. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, for more information on the Royal Flush Gang, check out uh, the Silver and Gold podcast, because uh, Booster Gold, I'm sure they'll touch on that. And then uh, check out the JLA, oh no, yeah, the JLA Satellite blog. Uh, somebody wrote that, I don't know. Some guy. Somebody, yeah. They should have not. Is that still up? I don't know. Yeah, it's still around. Yeah. It might be worth looking at. So, <laughs> Up next is Salak. At least that's how I say it. Without a pronunciation guide, I can't really tell you. With art by Joe Staten from the Justice League Corps. This is the guy, the big pink guy with the crazy-looking face, who, reading this entry, I found out he's reptilian. Hmm. I didn't really get that from this, but he's reptilian. So, um, I kind of like the art. He's, he's kind of he's always been a goofy-looking character, and sometimes he looks more insectoid than others. But he looks pretty good here. I, I don't like the, the kissing scene in the back. It looks kind of silly. But in the, in the surf She's brain. very open-minded. 
Well, as we find out, she's actually been brainwashed. So the deal here is Salak is one of the Green Lantern Corps members. We, you, you probably know him. He's the uptight one. Like you think he's the rules keeper or the rules lawyer of the Justice or of the Green Lantern Corps. But here's something I had no idea because I didn't read these particular issues of the Green Lantern Corps. But you, I don't know if you remember, Hal Jordan used to be transported every so often to the 58th century and made to believe he was a guy named Paul Manning, and he would fight and protect the 58th century. I don't. Know, do you remember any of that? No. It's a very Silver age thing. So Hal used to be dragged up to the future a lot as Paul Manning. Anyway, apparently they came, the people from the 58th century came back to get Hal, but got Salak instead here. And they made Salak think he was Paul Manning. And then they brainwashed his girlfriend into thinking that Paul Manning had always looked like this. So Salak apparently not only helped defend the 58th century, he liked it so much, he stayed. I love that. I love that detail. I, I, mean, I would, too, if I was you know, banging that smoking hot 58th century chick. I mean, think about the funky, crazy, kinky stuff they do in 58th century. Um, and I doubt he was getting many human chicks in the modern day. So Now, that didn't stick, though, because he makes it. He comes back. I mean, he's in all kinds of Green Lantern stuff later. So mm-hmm. obviously that didn't stick for, I don't know how long. It might have been two years. It might have been ten years. I don't know how long it stuck, but it didn't stick forever. So, uh, For more on Salak, the best place to probably hit would be uh, the Lantern cast. Uh, and you'll probably find a little bit of him in the Just One of the Guys podcast as well. All right, up next, one of my favorites, Shockwave by Dan Jurgens and is that Jack Torrance. Yes. I have no idea who Jack Torrance is other than the, the caretaker of the Overlook Hotel, but, I mean, that's very strange. I don't get the reference. Okay, go right ahead. Okay. Go see a uh, movie. What's that? Go see a movie sometime. I, I'm going to see one uh, next week. <laughs> Did you know that? Are you going to go see a movie next week? I have tickets right here. I do too. What day are you going? Thursday night. Is that the 17th? Mm-hmm. Me too. Okay. 7.15. What time are you going? 8 o'clock. Well, that's right. I'm going to text you. I forgot. During the movie. So I yes, because I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll be getting my... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll be answering my phone in the lead up to <laughs> The Force Awakens. Anyway, Shockwave looks great. Now, personally, my favorite interpretation of Shockwave is by the, the original artist which is uh, Paris Collins, but you know Dan Jurgens does a bang-up job here. Shockwave is this massive, massive dude in white armor. It's all white with little red highlights, uh, and he's got this great, really broad head with a big, smiley face. And it's, it's white face with a red cowl. He, he just looks totally badass. looks very, very cool. Now, you don't get much history here because there's not a lot of information about the character available, but also at this point, he sort of belonged to the Booster Gold universe. So, again, you're not going to get a lot of text out of it. Now, if you look in the back, in the Serpent, you see him fighting Blue Devil. Oh, bless it. It's wonderful. You see him stomping his foot. You see him knocking Booster Gold around, and then you see him without his mask. Now, that must have happened in the Booster Gold issue, because I don't remember ever seeing Shockwave without his mask on. Now, uh, we've talked about this before, Rob. I don't know if you recall. They were going to make a Shockwave superpowers figure. Yes, in Wave, wave 4. four. They even made a mold of it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen photos of that mold, folks, and it is possibly one of the most gorgeous and perfect representations of a character that out of all that superpower series. It looked dead on. It was amazing. So it would have been a beautiful, beautiful figure. So I, I love this character. He's, you know, he's got this power where he stomps and makes shockwaves. No surprise there. Um, super cool, and I'm glad they used him at Booster Gold. Do you have, you have any experience with this guy? No, not really. I mean, exa- yeah, I remember the the, the figure because we covered it on the show. Yeah. On Fire and Water, and yeah, it would have it would have made for a very handsome figure. That's a great logo, though, too, with the kind of wavy mm-hmm. lines. Mm-hmm. It looks like things are shaking. So, if you want more on Shockwave, check out the Shout of the Devil podcast, which is about Blue Devil, with our buddy hosted uh, by our buddy um, uh, uh, J- uh, Justin Barlow. 
wow, I totally blanked. I was trying to say the name of the host of the next show I'm going to mention, which is Silver and Gold, the Captain Adam and um, uh, Booster Gold podcast. I was trying to say Jay Jones, but yes, Justin Barlow. Sorry about that, Justin. All right, up next, Savannah, a very disheveled-looking nerd uh, representation of Savannah, rather than like the evil scientist. He looks like he's just like a humble nerd. Which is, it's kind of an interesting interpretation. It's done by Tom Mandrake, and this is during the era of Shazam, A New Beginning. So this is the, the, the reinterpretation of Captain Marvel and how he was going to fit into the post-crisis universe. Uh, this version of the origin only lasted about, maybe, what, three or four years until it got revamped again in Power of Shazam? Something like that, yeah. wasn't very long. It's not a very well-loved era, I should say. But in this version of history, he is actually the uncle of Billy Batson. And uh, he, he's responsible for killing Billy's parents to get access to their money. Uh, so pretty, pretty, pretty dastardly guy there. So um, The art, again, Tom Mandrake, I'm, I described the front. In the back, you see Captain Marvel coming at him, smashing through a wall. You see Black Adam. You see him um, threatening, uh, probably, I would say, Billy's parents. Um, it's, it's an okay piece. What do you yeah, think? I like it. I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it fits Captain Marvel. Uh, they were trying to do something different. This this is the Savannah you see sort of at the end of the fourth issue where he is all disheveled. I think he's that that fourth issue ends with him sitting in a bar. We've talked about this before. Yeah, uh, looking for a partner, and he notices the worm in the bottom of his tequila glass. So that's kind of where this Savannah is. Again, again with the first appearances, it lists his classic classic first appearance, which is Wiz Comics. It doesn't mention the new first appearance, which is <laughs> Suzanne the New Beginning. So the who's who is really inconsistent here. Um, that's what happens when you don't have Brenda Pope. Well, I, I think it, <laughs> I think it's also down to um, the DC universe. I mean, it's sort of a good dis- that's sort of a good description for the DC universe at this point. It was it was a little disorganized. I mean, mm-hmm. they would they would redo a character's origin after you know a year after Crisis, two years after Crisis, three years after Crisis, whenever they felt like it was the right time to do it, and it would suddenly overturn what had happened since Crisis with that character. And for me, it never bothered me. But a lot of the re- readers, continuity people, just drove them freaking batty. So. Well, if you want more on Savannah, I recommend you check out the Shazam cast. That's a fun new cast that's out there. I'm really enjoying that one. Have you been listening to that? I subscribe to it. I have not listened to it yet just because I'm so backed up on my other shows, but I want to because I really like that idea. I mean, that's a character of so much history yeah. and worthy of a podcast, absolutely. He's doing a great job, too. He really is. Uh, Shazam cast, folks. Check it out. So, All right, up next, The Spectre by Jim Aparo. This is a revised entry. Did, did Jim draw the last Spectre entry as well? I think he did. Uh, oh, I wish I could remember. Yeah, I, I'll yeah, put you on the spot there. Sorry. Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. Well, it's it's a great picture. It's the Spectre sort of just floating, coming at you. He's got his hand outreached with the fingers dangling down in a creepy way. Uh, you've got a, a shot of Jim Corrigan in the background. You see Madame Xanadu and his um, his assistant, Kim Liang. Uh, I guess that's Corrigan again, checking out Kim. The Spectre, yes. and then he's you know, chasing down a hoodlum. Now, this is an era when the Spectre had his own ongoing series. And Spectre was a little different at this point. According to the bio here, apparently Spectre and Corrigan could actually exist independent of each other. And, and when Spectre would leave Corrigan's body, and Corrigan's body would actually collapse. And uh, Madame Xanadu and Kim Liang, it was sort of their job to protect Corrigan's body while Spectre was out doing stuff. And Spectre had also been depowered at this point. He wasn't nearly as powerful anymore, and his mission had changed. He was no longer just avenging people that died. He was also supposed to be preventing 
murders from happening. So they're really going for a different angle here with the Spectre series. Uh, if I remember right, didn't this have all the, the Mike Kaluta covers, I think it was? I mean, yeah. beautiful, beautiful covers on this series. And, uh, and and he really hadn't become the big Spirit of Vengeance type character that he'd become under Ostringer and Mandrake. And Corgan was a, a private investigator at this point, not a cop. So I, I actually have a bunch of these issues because I, I bought the Ostringer uh, Mandrake stories and I loved them. And I picked up a bunch of this older series and I don't know that I've ever read them. I think I own a ton. I never got to them. <laughs> Just to follow through, the previous Spectre listing was not done by Jim Apera. It was done by Jerry Ordway. Oh, wait. Okay. I'm not going to argue with that. Wow. All right. Well, good stuff and uh, interesting time for the Spectre's life. So this right after post-crisis and, you know, again, the deep power thing. If you want more information on the Spectre, check out the, the new Dorkness to Light podcast with uh, our buddy uh, Professor Allen and his daughter Emily. They're looking at religion and comics, and uh, the Spectre is one of their topics they cover. Pretty cool. Up next is a revised version of Starfinger. Starfinger. <laughs> He's the one. Anyway, uh Greg LaRock and Mike DiCarlo drew this, and um, thinking it's pretty unnecessary, but because he looks ridiculous. <laughs> that costume just looks like it gets in the way. It's, it's embarrassing. Um, I love Greg LaRock. I really, really do. And this is actually a more recent era of the Teen Titans. This is a this is a fairly new character because the old Starfinger. Did I say Teen Titans? You I did. meant Legion of Superheroes. It's a little late, and I haven't had enough Die Mountain Dew. I'm trying to drink more water. I think I'm going to switch up in a second here, but. They, uh, the Starfinger we read about in the previous Who's Who entry, I guess, has been is died now, and this is the new Starfinger, and he's a new, uh, he's mysterious. He's a crime boss. He killed the old one. Now, I would say, I, I artistically, the piece is executed just fine. It's just the, like you said, the character design looks so goofy. Uh, he's wearing <laughs> looks like sort of like a parachute, basically. If you were to stand Stark with his arms out, he'd look like a giant star. That's the way the costume's designed. But it looks goofy as hell. He's got this helmet on with Kirby Crackle. In the Serpent, you can see um, Polar Boy and Cosmic Boy punching out some goons while he's, like, looking on. And then he's blasting what looks to be the original Starfinger. It's, uh, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He just looks like he can't get into a door uh, with any, without a lot of effort. So, yeah, no, the drawing is really nice. But yeah, the costume, I mean, the costume is kind of cool and then, like, it's it's sort of simple. He's just got that black tunic and then the drape, but it it is very silly. You know what it reminds me of? When I was at Dragon Con, I saw a guy cosplaying Starro, the Conqueror. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, was just he, great. He looked awesome. Was he in like a big onesie? Was it yeah, that it was guy? Yeah, a giant onesie, yeah, and he yeah. had like action figures glued to his yep, hands. Yep, yep, I love that. Yep. It looks great. It looks kind of like that, except his head's sticking out, <laughs> which would make it very hard to go through doors. So, <laughs> Up next is the balls-to-the-wall weirdest entry, I think, in this book. Strike Force Cobra, which is a team of villains which face the Outsiders. But they were put together by Cobra, K-O-B-R-A, the, the supervillain who actually had, you know, the cult leader who actually had his own series in the 70s. And I had to do some research on this one. I don't, do you remember these guys at all? No. Okay. Um, I, first of all, I do love that they use the old Cobra logo. It does look pretty cool there, but boss. Oh, but, it's always good to brand. Yeah, and he was all about branding. So here, here's the deal about this team that fought the Outsiders. They look generic, fine, whatever, but... You know how Mike W. Barr loved his themed teams, right? Oh, yeah. 
He loved the the People's Heroes, which were Force Russians. Of, he, Force of July. Thank you very Masters much. Masters of Disaster. The Nuclear Family. He loved these themed teams, which I love as well. They're ridiculous, but I love it for it. Well, this one, the theme was, and I this is where I had to do the research. The theme here is super-powered individuals modeled after one-time foes of Batman. So what that means is these are villains that are put together that are modeled on other Batman villains. Now, some of them are obvious. Clayface 4. Okay, she's modeled on Clayface. Got it. Everyone else had me scratching my head. So I had to do my, like, I, I read up on Element Woman. I'm thinking, oh, well, she just must be there to fight, you know, Metamorpho. Yes and no, she is. But she's actually based on a, a character called the Element Man, this one-off villain or so who appeared in Detective Comics 194. Whoa. That's who her, right, exactly. That's who her parallel is supposed to be. Uh, Zebra Man. This is actually Zebra Man 2. Can you believe it? Yeah, there was, no, an... that, there was a Zebra Man villain. I, that I do kind of remember. Okay. Yep, Detective Comics 275. I had no idea. The Spectrum Monster is apparently based on something called the Rainbow Creature from Detective Comics 134. Now, I don't know if all this was honest up front, like Mike W.R. did this, or he just retconned all this or whatever. But in the one website I found researching this, it could have been, I think it was the Cosmic Teams website, they could have, they could have just done this himself and may not actually be what they're supposed to be, but that's the research I found. You know, it's, I took a long time to find anybody who could identify who these guys are based on. The last one I had to mention, just because it's so utterly bizarre, the Planet Master is apparently... The, the Batman villain he's based on is Plant Master. All the difference of one E makes hmm. all the world a difference. <laughs> From Detective Comics 296. That one seems like a bit of a stretch for me. but So I, I do like their names. They're very nice. It looks like a very 1950s team, but I got to imagine this has got to be some like really, really mort characters. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I look at this and I would say to Mike Barr, you know, access to the DC Comics library is a privilege, not a right. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, Plant, Planet Master actually has, a, has managed to chalk up an appearance in multimedia. What? He, he was in Brave and the Bold. Oh, he, I wonder, who, was he in the bar scene? No, he's in the, uh, the episode Aquaman's Outrageous Adventure. Him and Blue Beetle team up to fight the Planet Master. Oh my gosh! And that's where that's where he's like he's like uh, you know you're a fine hero. I'll let you coin this adventure. And Blue Beetle's like, great, I'm gonna call it. Then Aquaman's like the the, the Battle of the Planet Master. <laughs> um, and I love uh, the idea. It says in the listing, it says the Strike Force uh, will will be re- will be- wait. Hold on, I'm sorry, I'm sorry when we read it. It's likely the Strike Force will reform and may return to avenge against the outside for revenge against the outsiders. That's very optimistic. It's very, very optimistic. So a little, a little too optimistic. Yeah, uh, I, I actually think there's nothing wrong with a Clayface Four. I like the idea that there's been so many Clayfaces, sure. you know. Yeah. And anyway, this is drawn by Jim Apera, which I'm always happy with. Um, clearly, Mike Barr loved Cobra. Really loved Cobra because they fought uh, Cobra in Batman and the Outsiders number twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. Mm-hmm. And after Batman and Cobra beat the crap out of each other, Cobra gets away. And someone, I forget who it is, talks to Batman, and Batman says, he's the second most dangerous man I've ever met. And I'm like, really? The second? After everybody you fought? Really? Cobra? And I'm like, I just felt like that's Mike Toby Barr. Just, he just loves Cobra. I'm like... I think, I think Alan Davis drew the Cobra entry, if I remember right. He did. Yeah. Oh, could, the, the character of Cobra is really cool. I just like Mike, Mike Barr, like, kind of, like, you know. Even, even at the age, I was like, 
He's more dangerous than Ray Shagul. Really, Batman? Well, he said second most dangerous. Maybe well, Ray but, Shagul but, was first. But no, it's the Joker. Uh. Because, because somebody, I remember this. I remember this. Somebody wrote into the letters page and said, oh. who's the first? Is it the Joker? And Mike W. Barr said, yes, that's who's Batman referring to. The, the infamous Batman and the Outsiders letters pages. And those things need to have their own absolute editions. Right. <laughs> well, I, the, the entries, the pages I was doing the research on, had lots to say about outsiders villains. They talked about the goofy team, you know, the the theme teams that we love and love to hate. And uh, they basically said at this point in in outsiders history, no one cared about who the theme team team of the week was. They were just somebody that he um, that Mike W. Barr created to not develop and just to get beat down by the outsiders. <laughs> because what was more interesting in the comic was the interplay between the characters. Yeah, yeah, so, I buy huh. that. Fascinating interpretation, and not so much a knock, but just a different way to look at it. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, by the way, the Planet Master <laughs> apparently his power is to emulate other planets. Mm-hmm. Like you know, he's emulating Pluto and has, has really cold powers. Uh, apparently, he has to wear a different suit for every planet he emulates, which sort of kind of put a damper on that quick change thing. You know? I do not want to see his costume for Uranus. Oh, on that note, moving on. Suicide Squad. Oh, by the way, for, uh, for Strike Force or Cobra, if you want to read more about them, be sure to check out Michael Kiriskiro's uh, non-existent Batman and the Outsiders blog. So, check that out. Up next, Suicide Squad. This is a revised entry in a whole lot of text. You know, John Ostrander must have helped him. Let me see. Is he in the credits in the beginning? Because that's a very John Ostrander. Oh, yeah, that's a John Ostrander thing type to do. Lots of information here. Two-page spread. It's a, it's a bit of a kapow moment. It's done by Luke McDonald. And the art... <sighs> It demonstrates why Luke McDonald, McDonald was really good for the tone of Suicide Squad, but not so necessarily good at drawing colorful superheroes and villains. No. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I'm not a big... I, I like his artwork on different things, but th- to me this doesn't uh, have a lot of appeal for me. Yeah, it's it's not great, folks. Um, but getting into it, I mean, there's a lot of text. Just to summarize it, I mean, the kind of conceptually, it talks about the 1960s version of the Suicide Squad, the civilian version with Rick's dad. Um, it talks about legend, and then it goes in and sort of chronicles, has a paragraph or two chronicling each one of the, of the Suicide Squad missions, because really, they're all, only on issue eight so far. And it's a lot of text with only eight issues under their belt. You know, they talk about the Legends mission, the Jihad mission, the Female Furies, the William Hell, the Firestorm, woohoo! Uh, when they went to go free Zoya Trigorin in the USSR, Bronze Tiger taking over for Rick Flagg. I mean, it covers all that stuff. You know, I might as well read the characters' names because everyone loves this kind of stuff. Here's, here you get, you get a central image of all the Suicide Squad standing together. And in the middle, you've got sort of like the main squaddies who are part of the team. And on the side are all the characters that have appeared or been part of the team in, in various adventures. And then on the sides, you've got those little Justice League, what I call them Justice League heads, where you see the face of all the characters in, that are involved. So you get... Black Condor. I'm sorry, that's not true at all. See, fooled you. See if you're paying attention. Black Orchid, Blockbuster, Bronze I, Tiger. I was just, I was what? just, I didn't want to interrupt you. I was like, Black Condor, what? <laughs> Bronze Tiger, Captain Boomerang, Kronos. Uh, reading, it's fundamental. Uh, Deadshot, Enchantress, Rick Flag, Killer Frost. No, that's Flag Rick. It is Rick Flag, comma Rick. You're right. Oh, jeez. Killer Frost, Frost, comma Killer. Uh, Mind Boggler, Multiplex, Nemesis, Nightshade, Parasite, Penguin, Plastique, Privateer, and Slipknot. And can you tell me how, what percentage of this team is made up of Firestorm villains? That's a good A shot. large percentage. <laughs> Let's think of how many of these people are movie stars. Ooh, okay. So let's see. Um, Blockbuster, have they done him? No, they haven't done him yet, have they? 
But Captain Boomerang. Maybe I shouldn't say, yeah, movies are Captain Boomerang. Yeah, Captain Boomerang, mm-hmm. Enchantress. Uh, Deadshot. Rick Wait, Flag- where's Enchantress? Oh, yeah, Rick- Deadshot, Enchantress. Rick Flag. Rick Flag. Um, Killer Frost about to be on the Flash right? TV show. Multiplex on the Flash TV show. Um, Parasite's going to be on Supergirl. Right. Penguin's been in several movies. Plastique's been in The Flash, and Slipknot's about yeah. to be in uh, the movie. Wow, okay. A really high percentage. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Suicide Squad logo, by the way. The one with the bullet holes all over Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really cool. So, um, that's all I've got on this one. Uh, if you want more on the Suicide Squad, definitely check out our buddy Aaron Head Moss. He's got the Task Force X podcast going issue by issue, so that's great. Check it out. Up next, Superboy by John Byrne and Kurt Schaffenberger. That's a nice combination. Because you get John Byrne, who was the, the current Superman artist, and you get Schaffenberger, who was you know very very classic sort of uh, Captain Marvel. He, I always think of Captain Marvel when I think of Schaffenberger. So really nice connection there. And this is the this is where it gets a little confusing, folks. This is not the Superboy from Recrisis. This is Superboy from the Pocket Universe. So if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, just stick with me. I'll put it in as basic possible terms. Um, in the Superman titles, they had to sort of acknowledge all these previous Superboy adventures that were tied to Legion of Superheroes continuity. So they said that the Time Trapper created this alternate dimension. Either, well, he either created or found. They were very specific that he didn't create. I'm sorry. He, they, it's in question whether he created it or found it. And on that world existed Superboy, who then joins the Legion. So this is basically, it's essentially the Earth-1 Superboy and his adventures, like the new adventures of Superboy and all that stuff. But it, they can't quite say it's the pre-crisis version, so they just say it's the pocket universe Superboy. And uh, again, Time Trapper is sort of the one who's responsible for it. The leaves you wondering whether, and, you know, did it really? Is it really Earth One that survived the crisis? You don't know. Uh, the sad thing is, at the end of the story, Superboy actually sacrifices his, himself and saves both uh, his world and uh, the, the the world of the future of the 30th century Legionnaires. And his world spins away. I noticed they're very particular about that. I didn't realize that. The pocket universe spins away. So leaving them a loophole to bring it back if they'd wanted to. And they did later on down the line. The image, again, it's, it's Superboy in the front. And he's got, you know, a very stylized... 1940s S, very big, thick lettering. In the background, you've got a gorgeous shot of, of young Clark Kent and his school friends, his parents. You see Pete Ross and uh, Lana Lang. You see his ship leaving Krypton, a very Silver age version, him flying with Crypto. Then you see uh, at the Legion headquarters, the flag's at half-mast, and mon is holding the dead body of Superboy. It's a powerful piece. It looks really, really great. Yeah, it's a really nice art combo, and I, yeah, as you said, it's like a nice tribute, you know, old and new. Uh, Byrne is one of the few artists that know how to draw bodies of young people, and they're not just a full adult body with a young face. Like, Superboy's actually got a boy body. It's smaller, it's skinnier, it's not as developed. There are other artists that just, you know, draw a regular man, and then they just make the face look young, and you're like, well, that, that's not really what a boy looks like. But Byrne has the anatomy down. Um... On a side thing, I love that Superboy logo. I think that's one of the greatest logos I've ever <laughs> seen for a Super. I love that font and the yeah. cur- the curve. It's beautiful, and it's been that logo. It, like that's been his logo for many many years, and I'm glad they stuck with it because I think it's just it's pure joy. I think it's just so gorgeous. Wow, you're really invested in that. I mean, I yeah. like it too, but that's a, that's a lot. There just aren't that many great logos, I, I, I think, like that. And that one to me is just uh, it's beautiful. I love the S on his chest. That to me, screams, you know, classic, not modern-day Superman. Mm-hmm. It's just, it looks really, really nice. Now, um, last episode, we covered Power Girl. 
and I mentioned a little bit about the problems with the Legion history and the Pocket Universe Superboy and stuff like that. Um, I, while I was recording, I came up with a theory where I mentioned that Power Girl could have been a Daxamite in the post-crisis, and she could have been the inspiration for the Legion. Um, I've taken it a step further. I've actually written an entry for the Legion of Superbloggers. It'll publish uh, – it's not out by the time you guys hear this, but it'll be out by the end of December. If you have a Legion of Superbloggers, I'll put, I'll put it on social media and stuff. But it's basically me postulating – what if they had done the crisis after crisis had done things differently? And instead of doing the pocket universe Superboy, they basically substituted both Superboy and Supergirl's adventures with the Legion for Power Girl. So it'd be Power Girl and the Legion of Superheroes. And it talks about all the continuity problems they had for 20 years because of crisis and how it all could have been fixed by just slotting Power Girl in there. And uh, anyway, that'll be up on, on the Legion of Superbloggers pretty soon. So check it out. I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. I did some artwork to go with it too. It was fun. Really? Yeah. So. Not not artwork, but uh, some, I'm sorry. I should say some photoshopping of of Power Girl into like Legion covers and stuff like that. Okay. But for more Legion goodness, check out definitely check out the Legion of Superbloggers uh, Up next, Titano, who uh, I feel like we just did this entry recently because <laughs> we did a Titano by John Byrne. I <laughs> love it that in the previous iteration of Who's Who in the back cover. Mm-hmm. Greenberg Greenberger's like, sadly, Titano is a relic of a former Superman history and will not return. And then, like, literally two months later, Burns like, hey, Titano. <laughs> Good for you, John. Good for you. Art by uh, Ron Friends and John Byrne. And I was like, wait a minute, Ron Friends? What? And it turns out, I looked it up, Ron Friends penciled the Superman uh, annual right, where Titano, Titano comes back. Right. Yep. So I don't Which know. mentions here. And here, now they're giving him the current first appearance, not the historic first appearance. Uh, They're all over the place. By the way, whoever uh, wrote whoever wrote this, yeah. occupation, subject for scientific experiments. That's not an occupation. Well, actually, I guess it, it no, could be. It is not. No. It is not. It's not? No. When you're like, an animal and you've been taken by humans and be subject of medical experiments, that's not a job. Yeah. All right, exactly. so you see Titan who's standing over Metropolis. He's enormous. He's got a huge like belly though, I mean like this an enormous belly for a chimpanzee. Carbs and uh, what? Carbs. He well, he's got he, he's got Solomon Grundy but belly. Uh, Ernie <laughs> Colon, uh, Solomon Grundy belly. In the background, you see uh, John. I'm um, John Byrne. You see Superman and you see uh, Lois holding the the baby chimp or the young chimp. And it's a like I'm not too hot on Titano himself. He, just that the proportions are weird. But Superman and Lois in the background look great in the serpent. They really really look great. And I mean, he's basically, it's a King Kong story, is what it is, with, an, with uh, some animal testing issues, and Lois Lane is sort of the Fay Ray character. And it's, you know, it's fine, you know. I like Ron Friends, so it's nice. Mm-hmm. Interesting that Burn inked it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So for more information on uh, Superman in this era, check out the From Crisis to Crisis podcast, which is hosted by Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor. We'll get to that in the comments. <laughs> Up next... Is the freakiest looking entry. <laughs> a character called Twister. Yes, Shag, we know. She's hot. Uh, no, 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 she's not. <laughs> Actually, thank you for, uh, for helping me clarify that. Drawn by Carrie Gamble and Richard Howell. Her name is very apt because she has been, her face has been twisted and messed up. She's apparently had these powers given her, these psionic powers given to her. And in order to do so, they had to do all this surgery on her. And it has horribly scarred her face 
in such a way that it's it's sort of like someone just played with a Mr. Potato Head and put everything in the wrong slots. Like her one eye is really high, one eye is really low, the nose is sideways, the mouth is like going on a side cheek. It's surprisingly disturbing to look at. She looks like a Picasso paint. Yeah, kind of. But like on a hot body, like, and it just, it, it's disturbing. Now, I love her costume. It's so 80s. I, I don't even know how to describe that top. Um, other, she's got a bare midriff. She's got big shoulder, not shoulder pads, but this part that sticks out. She's got a huge high collar, but lots of skin showing and straps everywhere. And it's very asymmetrical. And then she's got two different kinds of gloves and she's got these black tights, but they're got some spots that are open asymmetrically. She she clearly stole her costume from the hex book. It looks like it. Yeah. And the boots come all the way up past the knees and are asymmetrical and like, and of course, just so you're sure, you know, she's a bad guy. She's smoking a cigarette. (laughs) on one of those long sticks. So, she doesn't have to worry about the uh, smoke going up her nose. <laughs> That's true. It's on the wrong side of her face. I mean, she's re- in the in the serpent, you get a close up of her face, and you really get a look at how freaking freaked up it is. <laughs> That's pretty bad. I mean, it's artistically, it's rendered really well. I mean, uh, Carrie Gamble so hideous to look at. Richard Howell did a really nice job drawing it, and you can see where she was probably a beautiful girl because all the pieces are pretty, but. Put it together though that way. It's like, ugh. And all this happened because she was subjected to medical exper- to, to an operation. I don't fully understand why that would cause that. I mean, how badly of a surgeon do you have to be to screw that up? Well, under her occupation, shouldn't it be like surgery patient? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah, um, she's there with Baron Blood, or Brother Blood, Brother Blood, who is uh, <laughs> Baron Blood. Uh, Brother Blood, who was kind of like she was in love with Baron Blood and he just didn't, really didn't care about her. <laughs> and then you see her really screwing up Cyborg. Like, I love the artwork on Cyborg. It looks like so much fun. She's turned him into, like, I don't know, like a ridiculous Looney Tunes Swiss Army knife. I mean, it's hilarious what she's doing to him. Because she has these psionic illusions she can create. So, um, it's fun. It's, again, hard to look at, but fun. Crazy stuff. And uh, it's from a New Teen Titans era that I don't know how popular that is, though. Issue 26 of the Baxter series? No, no, no. That was was after Perez had set sail. Yeah, I think some of the shine started to wear off. Um, Speaking you want, of, well, I was gonna say if you want more on Twister, check out the Pop Culture uh, Affidavit blog. Our buddy Tom Painter Reese did a lot of write-ups on Teen Titan stuff, and I, you know, I'm sure he got to Twister at some point. Yes, as Rob was indicating. Speaking of the shine coming off of the Teen Titans, up next is Vanguard, the stars of the cover of this issue. They appeared in some new Teen Titans and Superman stuff. Um, the way they look are these like giant crystalline, sort of like mineral creatures. There's five of them. This is about all you're going to get, so pay attention, folks. Antimatter Man, Black Nebula, Drone Scanner, Solar, White Dwarf, and um, art by Ed Hannigan and Mike DiCarlo. I'd say next. Yeah. Okay, great. If you want more of Vanguard, look um, for, I don't know, don't look anywhere. Move on. <laughs> Up next, Vibe by Luke McDonald. You like that? I covered it like you would, didn't I? I like that. Well, I like you actually telling people not to do something. Don't don't look him up. Don't no. don't look up this guy. No. Luke McDonald. Don't look up at don't look up at Hannigan either. Don't, don't, oh, don't. I like it Hannigan. Uh, just, you'll regret it. Just don't do it. <laughs> oh, that's not true at all. I like it Hannigan. Anyway, uh, up next is Vibe. Vibe. See um, now this it, artwork I really dig by Luke McDonald. Well, Luke McDonald drew Justice League Detroit, right. and this would be the way he drew it. I'm not a fan of this. I'd rather see Chuck Patton draw Vibe. Well, I would too, but I'm saying I like this drawing. I think the Suicide Squad one is weak, but this one I think is is sharp. 
He spent more time on it, you know, than the Suicide the Suicide Squad one. He had to draw a bunch of characters. Here he got to focus on one. Mm-hmm. So you see Vibe in the front in his second costume, which has a lot less yellow. You see a close-up of his face without his sunglasses on. You see him blasting a Mazo with his vibrational powers. And then you see the life of him being choked out by one of Professor Ivo's androids. Um, so this is Paco Ramon, folks. You may have heard of Vibe um, on the Flash TV show. That's who's made him very popular now. He, he, there he goes by Cisco Ramon, but is the same character. Now, I got to tell you, under Occupation, uh, it says you're street gang leader and adventurer. Mm-hmm. You know what's missing? At, well, at first I thought, you know what was missing? Breakdancer. Breakdancer. But then I realized, that's not really an occupation. That's a way of life. So it's okay that it's not in here. Now, I, I, as reading this, I had forgotten Aquaman actually opposed Vibe's entry into the Justice League. Yes, he did. So, wow. And uh, just to point out, that here's how badass Vibe was, guys. You know, a lot of characters die on missions and things like that. They had to program an assassin robot to hunt him down and murder him. That's how awesome Vibe is. He didn't just go out in a battle. They had to actually assassinate him. He's a tough dude. So, um, again, I'm not a huge fan of it. If you want more on Vibe, you should check out our April Fool's podcast we did a few years ago. We did a whole episode of the Fire and Water podcast. We called it El Fuego y Agua. And it was, the whole thing was a gag where we just pretended the, that the Fire and Water podcast had been dedicated to Vibe all these years. And I had an absolute hoot with that episode. It's one of my favorites. I think it was an absolute blast to record. I don't, I don't know. It might have been painful to listen to, but frankly, I don't care. We had fun recording it. So, um, again, if you want more on Vibe, um, check out the Flash TV show, really. Or check out Diablo Frank. He has a Justice League Detroit blog. And there's a lot of old, um, that hasn't been updated a lot lately, but there's a lot of information out there on Vibe. So, goodbye, Vibe. I miss you. Up next is a page that's been typeset wrong, I believe. I believe it's a two-page piece dedicated to the Watchmen. We're going to get into it because there's a lot to talk about here. But I think what they intended were for these to be on facing pages. Instead, what you get is a full-page picture of the Watchmen on the right-hand page. You have to flip the page, and then you get a full page of text. Wouldn't you think this was supposed to be a right-hand page thing? You know, right, I, facing pages? I can't tell exactly. Uh, there is something it, there is something sort of complete about it that it's all on one piece of paper. And and what's his name? Greenberger specifically mentions this listing on the inside mm-hmm. cover. So I, I don't I no I don't think it was intended. I think they I mean I to be on facing page. I think they meant it to be like this. Well, the only other entry that's like this in the whole series that I know of up to this point would have been the Young All Stars. Because Young All-Stars had a page, and then their entry was combined with Young All-Stars. Uh, Young All-Stars and then All-Star Squadron was combined together in the updates. But here, it's a full page of the Watchmen, uh, and it has the, the same cover treatment, or same treatment that the covers had. Where you had along the left-hand side, you had a vertical bo- uh, uh, rectangle, where it said Watchmen sideways. And you had the clock ticking, and then you had the smiley face with the blood on it, except they forgot to color it like blood this time. And then they have the whole image of the team there. You've got Ozymandias, Silk Spectre, um, Dr. Manhattan, Night Owl, Rorschach, and the Comedian. And they're all taking like a team photo, like as if they were still a team, not as it was in the Watchmen story, but before the team broke up. And uh, it looks great. Dave Gibbons, the guy who drew it, it's it's beautiful. It's a wonderful tribute to the Watchmen. And you know, you talked about the whole thing sort of being complete on one page. Now that I think about it, whether it was on purpose or not, this is the perfect prototype for what the loose leaf format would be. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's one a full page on the front, three columns of text on the back. Plus, and this, that's, this gives you the chance, the only chance you'll ever have in history to have Vibe and Watchmen facing one another. <laughs> 
In fact, if you close the book, they sort of kiss. Who does he? He kisses uh, Ozymandias. Oh dear cute. God! Anyway, <laughs> um, there's a lot of text here. I'm not even really going to touch on it, guys. It is a full-on uh, recap of the Watchmen story. I feel sorry and, for the poor bastard that had to recap all 12 issues of Watchmen into three columns. Right, and I mean, and Alan Moore is not a contributing writer here. But it's done pretty well. And some of it, as I'm reading it, actually... I've read Watchmen several times, but it's been years since I've read it. Some of this actually crystallizes in my head some of the stuff that was going on in the comic. Like the police riots, especially. I, I don't know that I remember all the details about the police riots from the comic. But here they talk about the police riots and why they happen and how they happen. I'm like, oh... That makes a lot of sense. And in the old, when I read the comic, I don't know that I actually thought about it that deeply. So I don't know that I picked up all those details or I just, maybe I've forgotten. But uh, it's a good recap. I think it does, it works well. It mentions, and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, as you say, you get the, at the bottom, you get the treatment of that clock ticking down. Right. So. It mentions in the listing, it says, Dr. Manhattan apparently disintegrated Rorschach. Yes. Apparently. That's interesting mm. that they snuck that in. Apparently. In the comic, well, it's pretty clear he immolates Rorschach into a big pile of goo. Uh, I just thought it was interesting that they inserted that word apparently. Well, I, I'm, you know, you know, they were hoping for sequels to right. the Watchmen. Well, that's what I'm suggesting is that yeah. they were trying to just sneak a little like, no, there is another thing in there, just like, oh no, <laughs> Rorschach, yeah, Rorschach's still alive. I'm like, no, if you read the comic, I think Alan Moore's intention is pretty clear. <laughs> Well, but keep in mind, you know, what they could say is Dr. Manhattan transported him sure, somewhere. Sure, Because, you know, that's – if Alan Moore decided to say that in Volume 2 and it had been just right. as good, we would all would have accepted that. Right, right, right. So, But, oh, what would have been. <laughs> all right, up next uh, – oh, by the way, for more on Watchmen, freaking go watch the movie. So, no, um, don't, don't do that. Read the comic. The movie's not bad. Eh. It's pretty faithful to the comic. I mean, it's really uh, faithful. Okay. Oh my gosh! Get get off your high horse! Um, <laughs> oh, the whole ending has changed. Yeah, it's pretty faithful, except for that part. Yeah, I kind of like the ending in the movie better. The whole giant octopus thing. I was oh, never a big fan of. Even, oh my god! All right, I'm wild talk about dog. Wild dog. Come on. We have to talk about wild dog. Damn it! Will you shut up? So up next is Wild Dog, drawn with art by Terry Beattie. Um, I've never read Wild Dog, so I had to look it up. Terry Beattie was the artist primarily on Wild Love Dog. Love the so artwork. Yeah, the artwork looks great. Wild Dog, if you're not familiar with him, first of all, I'm not surprised. Um, he's this dude who's he's in camo pants and boots. He's wearing like a, a blue hockey jersey with this funny little cartoon dog on it. It's a, it's a college mascot. And he's got a hockey mask on, uh, like a Jason almost hockey mask. And he's, he's firing what appears to be a, a very handheld Uzi. And his hands have a little shocks coming off of it. He was a, basically a ridiculous-looking Punisher. Is what he boils down to. He's a guy who just, you know, he um, he had been in the military. He'd seen some terrible things. He came back home and then took it upon himself to go fight crime, essentially. And he just threw he threw on this jersey from his college, and their mascot were called the Wild Dogs. And so uh, he became known as Wild Dog, and the school kind of got behind him and stuff. Um, it, you know. There's not a lot to say. I mean, it, he okay. Here it is. He, he fought in Beirut, and there was this terrorist who, with with a with a suicide truck that he saw, which really bothered him. And then he got stateside, and his girlfriend turned out to be a mob boss's daughter. All of this led to him becoming that. So there we go. Did you ever read this stuff? Uh, I did. I read the miniseries, and I think I read the Action Comics Weekly strip too, because I used to like that book. I feel like Wild Dog is is like the next in the line after Vigilante, 
where DC wanted to do a Punisher, and they just lacked the balls to do it. So it's like they did the Vigilante. The Vigilante was supposed to be their Punisher. And then they, they kind of morphed him into basically a superhero and softened all of his hard edges down. So then they're like, well, let's do it again. Let's do Wild Dog. And then they softened his, him down. So it's like they, they? they just can't bring themselves to have like a super sort of vigilante killer guy because I just don't think DC has it in them to do it. Well, they tried it with Peacemaker and Deathstroke as well, and they softened each of those too. Yeah, I just there's something I think the minute you put this kind of character in in a superhero universe, you can't help but just sort of sand those edges down, and that's what happens. But again, I love the artwork. He did that with the Punisher at one point. They, they, he he became an angel, and yeah, he used just, like angelic bullets and stuff. I mean, it was crazy. So. Anyway, uh, if you want more information on Wild Dog, uh, there's pretty much nowhere to look. (laughs) Up next, Windfall. Um, This is my favorite piece in the book, by the way, by John Bognadov and John Beatty. John Beatty again. She is beautiful. Like, the the detail they did on her face, the way her hair is flowing, and the the giant smile on her face, and the fun, very, you know, kind of classic-looking costume with the big, you know, flared gloves and the flared boots and the the lines and stuff. She looks great. She looks like she's having a blast flying through the air in the front. The serpent looks great. You got a close-up of her beautiful face. You got her flying with Halo. You got her with the uh, Masters of Disaster. I, I love... The artwork here. Yeah, Please so tell me you do too. I do. The pose really conveys the character's powers and yeah. attitude. Because she was kind of a lighthearted character. And then with her powers. Yeah, it's a really, it's a great, for a very, very minor character, it's a very powerful, not, not powerful, but just a very exciting image. Well yeah. done. John Beatty, great anchor. Great. Well, he must be because as much as I like Bognadov's stuff, like his like Man of Steel stuff, you know, Sergeant Belcher is a personal favorite of mine. Um, not really, not even a little bit. That Man of Steel comic, I never liked the art in it. Bogdanov's not one of my favorite artists. So Terry Beatty must have really softened this. John Beatty. To make it, John Beatty, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, is it really John Beatty? Mm-hmm. Wasn't the other one Terry Beatty? Mm-hmm. We have Wild Dog, it was Terry Beatty, now we have John Beatty. Are they like brothers or something? I don't know, they have to ask their father Warren. <laughs> anyway, um, the Inky must have really, because... It does, if, you, if you showed me this, there's no way I guess it was the John Bognado piece. Mm-hmm. I would never guess in a million years. So, um, New Wave from Masters of Disaster is her sister. That's awesome. Now, without reading the entry, how old would you say this girl is? Just looking at the image. Well, the I already know that Windfall is supposed to be like a teen. Like 14. Uh, but but here she looks like she's 25. You know, a full-grown woman. I, well, I'd say about 19, 21, probably in that range. Yeah, yeah. she's 14 years yeah. old. Yeah, oops. Yeah, it's like, oh, I feel a little dirty. <laughs> so, uh, notice I didn't say too many things, bad things about her. Um, so, uh, for more information on Windfall, check out the uh, non-existent Michael Chiaroscuro Batman and the Outsiders blog. That joke will never get old. <laughs> Until there is a Batman and the Outsiders blog by Michael Chiaroscuro. <laughs> Um, you know, I feel bad for the guy because you know, he's got, uh, I think it's twins, you know, and he, like infant twins. I mean, the guy's got his hands full, but I don't, I'm not going to stop beating on him. So I, I, I hope he, na- I hope he named them uh, Heat Wave and <laughs> <laughs> Windfall and, wave uh, and Windfall. Heatwave and Windfall. He really should have. I hope he did too. Uh, up next is, I don't know how I'm going to say this. The unfortunately named <laughs> Yasmala. <laughs> it sounds like an insult. Hey, you smell her. <laughs> well, she is a warlord villain uh, drawn by Ron Randall. She's pretty hot. She's all sword and savage. Uh, you know, she's got very little clothes on, and she's got swords and sharp, pointy stuff, and raven-haired, beautiful woman. 
And uh, so if you think about this, uh, while uh, she, she's a warlord character and drawn by Ron Randall, this is like the perfect storm for Darren and Ruth Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like the perfect character for them. So uh, she is one of the Vashek assassins, and apparently uh, Travis Morgan killed uh, the man she loved. So she's, she's hot, but she's really an evil wench as you read through it. Apparently she allied with, Dark, uh, with Desaad to try and kill the warlord during the legend story. And uh, she also uh, disguised herself as Warlord's wife, Tara, for a while there. So. Yeah, until I read this listing, I had no idea there was any connection to her and the New Gods. I never would have thought that in a million years. <laughs> I love this idea, though, it says, uh, where it says, um, In Skataris, Desaad established a base holding advanced technological devices from Apocalypse. Desaad used one device to give himself the appearance of the Warlord and performed evil deeds in his guise intending thereby to ruin Morgan's reputation. Like, that's a really long-form plan of Darkseid's to do all that. That's, that's, that's a slow burn. Well, that's what the whole Legends thing was, though, to, to ruin the reputation of heroes. Yeah, but Warlord wasn't a hero, like, in the modern media sense, that the way that the Legends story played out with Glorious True. Godfrey. He's in Skatars, for God's sake. What are they, Skatars Cable News? I mean, what is that? No, but the problem was Warlord was a published book by DC at that point, yes, and he, they had to make it part of, of Legend, Legends, the, the first DC crossover to say, let's milk the shit out of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I bought every Legends crossover, and that oh, was uh, not the fir- it was not the first issue of Warlord I ever bought, but it was one of the one of the first ones outside of the Aeron crossovers. So, uh, if you want more on Yasmala, check out the new podcast Warlord Worlds. By our buddies Darren and Ruth Sutherland, where they're covering Mike Grell chocolatey goodness, folks. They're covering Warlord, they're covering John Sable, and they're covering uh, Green Arrow. So, I, I've heard the first episode, really dug it. So, looking forward to more. Because who doesn't like Mike Grell? And then the final entry, uh, final full page entry of Who's Who Update 87 is Zemirir. Always destined to be picked last in any list. <laughs> He, I think that's why they created him, so he'd be on the last page. The, the, he's the Tom Zoller of Who's Who. <laughs> he's a, or is it Zoom Yukonori, one or the other. Um, he's well, this, no, Z would be after well, okay. Y, Jack. But how many times does Zoom Yukonori <laughs> get to hang out on a baseball field with a bunch of people <laughs> and who, someone else has a last name that starts with a Z? I don't think Tom probably, Zoller probably and not. Zoom Yukonori hang out together, although that would be some pretty epic art, to, art that happens. <laughs> All right, let's just move on. So this is actually, it's a Legion villain. It's probably one of the most insanely creative-looking characters in the comics. There's this sphere full of some sort of liquid or gas, and inside it is this creature who looks kind of like a slug, but it's like bent over in almost like a, a like C a, or a U type like a shape. a piece of intestine. Yeah. It's got little weird ridges and little bumpy things, and it's got this one little arm that's got a mace device on it. I mean... <laughs> It's a it's a it's a creature is the best I can describe it, and it's very creative and it looks really cool. And in the serpent, you see the little ball flying around, and it's given a hard time to uh, a lot of the characters here. Like uh, you see Ultra Boy, and it looks like Shrinking Violet probably, and Element Lad, and, and Phantom and, and Girl there. Phantom Girl's in the foreground there. Shrinking Violet's over by Ultra Boy, but it's giving a hard time to a lot of the Legion folks. And uh, first appearance was the Baxter series issue number one. So not bad, not bad. And uh, this race, if I remember right, played a role in Invasion, I believe. Ooh. And this little creature brought together the, le- the one in- iteration of the Legion of Supervillains. Crazy. So I'm not familiar Did you with mention it. it was drawn by Arnstar and Robert Campanella? And there you have it. There you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you. I, every time I've ever seen this character drawn, which is admittedly not much, I always thought he was small, like it was mm-hmm. like a bowling ball size. But no, yeah. it says his length is 12 feet, weight 750 pounds. So he's actually like, I mean, here in the serpent, you see it. You get the proportions that he's pretty big. He's but not like, small. No, but if you look on the back cover, he looks mm-hmm. kind of relatively tiny. I always, I, I mean, again, not that I paid too much attention, but I just yeah. always figured he was he was small, but he's not. You know how I feel about the back much. cover. So Yes. Um, nice entry. So it does well. And if you want more information on this character, check out the Legion of Super Bloggers. All right. So we have gotten to the appendix, folks. The appendix covers page 25 to page 32. I'm going to describe it to you, turn it over to Rob for a minute, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the appendix. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to name the characters. I'm not going to read them all out because, again, it's so many pages. Um, but I'm going to hit every character. This just mention every character. I might have a comment or two in them. The gist of these things, though... It's basically just telling you. These, none you of these are characters. really going to read every one of these? Just the names. Um, oh my god! Shut your hole. It's going to go very quickly. But it basically, it's just saying none of these characters exist in DC continuity anymore. Anyway, but the, the way that it's appendix, you got three columns, and then in the background, you kind of have an overprint of the the logo of who's who, but with weird little dots trying to show the printing process. It's kind of cool looking. So before I get rolling, what do you want to say? Well. Well, I, I'm wondering why you're going to read every one of these stupid names. No, uh, I think this this appendix, uh, much like the appendix in the human body, is kind of useless. Uh, it, it, you guys had that, you and Chris Franklin did that episode of uh, Supermates where you argued was the crisis worth you know worth doing or not. Yes, I would look at this and say this isn't a great example of why they should have never done the crisis, because all these great characters and all like nine. 90% of them here listed are like, they do not exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. And it's just like all these cool characters, all these concepts just chucked out for the sake of the crisis in Infinite Earths. So I just found the whole thing kind of silly. The one list thing that, of course, that I'm going to talk about is Aquaman. Aquaman, mm-hmm. Aquaman gets artwork. They actually did artwork for a couple of them. It's here it's drawn by Steve Bove. Uh, and he's in his camo suit. It mentions here that he's going to trade back and forth between the camo suit and the classic togs. That didn't work out. Um, the artwork's perfectly fine. It's actually kind of nice. Uh, it's a little on the stiff side. I mean, compared to the wondrous Craig Hamilton artwork, it couldn't help, be, couldn't help but be. But I like it. It was pretty cool. And I have to say, Steve, Steve Bo, very nice man. He drew this little Aquaman figurine uh, for the letter column that ran in that camo suit miniseries. Uh, and he sent me that original artwork. Wow. Uh, so I have that in my collection. It's just like a little drawing. It's like the size of like a postcard. But still, that was very generous of him to send me. Um, so I'm, And I was happy, of course, that Aquaman got you know a nice I, – I wish they had put him in the update full on. But uh, at least he got something here. I was actually going to say, I, I think this artwork might be the reason they got rid of the camo suit. Simply because you know by the end of this, Steve probably looked around and goes – this costume is impossible to draw. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So, all right, here we go. A little bit of lightning round, but there are characters I will mention here and there. Uh, Abel, right out of the gate, I love how it talks about how Abel is being continuously murdered by his brother Cain. I love that. Uh, Abnegazar, Gast, and Wrath. Adam Strange. This is uh, where they reveal in here that Sardath is really a big dick. So, um, Amazo, Arak, Orion. Atari Force. Oh, makes me so sad. They say that Atari Force isn't part of the DC Universe. Bastards. Atlantis. Adam 1. Okay, so I want to mention this here because Rob mentioned there's a lot of stuff here where they say this character no longer exists. 
all the JSA characters say this bit here, which says, in the recreated DC universe, both atoms are born on the same Earth, the original and blah, 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 uh, and the JSA members are seemingly caught in a time loop in another dimension for eternity. What a crime against the JSA. Such a bummer. All right. Uh, Azriel talks about Azriel's, uh, this is the one from New Teen Titans. It says, Azriel's present whereabouts are unknown, and I think everyone was pretty happy about that. Baron Bedlam, Baron Blitzkrieg, Baron Earth, the Batcave. Check this out. It says Batman established a third Batcave in California? Did yes, you know he that? did, yeah, in Batman and the Outsiders. Oh. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Batman 1, Batwoman, Ben Boxer. Bizarro World, Blackbriar Thorn. See, you know, if I can read out the uh, the Twitter list, I can read this out. So, Black Canary One and Two, Black Condor, Blackfire, Black Rock, Blockbuster, Boy Commandos. This is where they mention that the character uh, in the Boy Commandos, known as Brooklyn, grew up to be the Metropolis Police Department guy. Name is the Terrible Turpin. Ooh, look at that. Brainiac, Brainy Wave Junior, Bronze Tiger, Brother Blood, Brotherhood of Evil, Bife. Camelot 3000, Captain Boomerang, Captain Marvel Jr., Captain Nazi, Captain Storm, love that character, Captain Woman, um, Captain Woman, Catwoman 1, Cheetah 1, Cheshire, Cheshire, uh, this is where they reveal that Leon, the little child of Roy Har- uh, of Cheshire, is actually the, the father was Roy Harper, and nothing ever bad happened to Leon, and that's my final word on that. Um, Kronos, Let's see, uh, Cersei, Clayface 1, Clayface 2, Clayface 3, <laughs> Commander Steel, Composite Superman. Yay! <clears throat> Please, everyone listen up. Composite Superman. There never was a Composite Superman in the recreated DC Universe. Rob, if I ever heard a need for the crisis, it's right there. <laughs> I don't know what your problem is. Congorilla uh, and Congo Bill, Construct, Crazy Quilt, Crime Syndicate. These are so many fun characters. Crimson Avenger. Croc. This is where they talk about the fact that Croc did not kill Jason parent, uh, Jason Todd's parents, and they weren't even sure if he existed in the, in the new DC universe yet. Uh, Cyclotron, the Daily Planet, Dark Opal, Dark Side, Dead Man. Um, oh, by the way, the Daily Planet entry they mention here. Check this out. It says a uh, a recent addition to the staff is a reporter named Catherine Grant. Hmm. Who's she? She might have gone on to do something to TV. I think maybe. Hmm. Okay, Dark Side, uh, or as they said on the playground, Dark Seed, Dead Man. You skipped Dead... Dark Opal. I said him a second ago. No, you said Daily Planet, then Dark I, Side. I did say Dark Opal. I oh, did. I missed that. All right, Go I'm back sorry. and listen to the tapes. Deadshot, Demos One, Demon, Desad, Despe- Despero, or either Despero or Despero. Uh, they talk here about how he got recreated at the end of Justice League Detroit with the Flame of Vitar. Good stuff there. Our buddy Frank loves that. Dial H for Hero. Doctor Alchemy. Doctor Fate 1. Doctor Light 2. The second Doctor Light is now a member of the Justice League. Huh. For one issue, I think. Wasn't that right? I think we'll so. Find, we'll find out in the Justice League International Bwahaha cast, mm. I think. Look at that. Didn't even mean to plug it. Uh, Doctor Midnight 2. I'm sorry. Doctor Midnight. Doctor Occult. Doctor um, Doctor Phosphorus. Doctor Polaris. Doctor Zinzin. Dollman. Dolphin. This is kind of weird. There's some of this stuff is corrections. Like once in a while in here, they'll mention like the art was done by so-and-so or this person was actually this tall, not this tall. Dolphins says, <laughs> Dolphin is indeed a good hand-to-hand combatant. What the hell is that Sorry about, about that. Sorry we suggested otherwise. Right, exactly. Uh, Elastic Lad, Electrocutioner, Enchantress, Fastback, Fearsome Five, Firebrand One, Firestorm. And they talk about here uh, how blank- Firestorm has become the blank slate. And mentions uh, Richard Dare, his grandfather. 
Um, and uh, Felicity Smoke, whoop, whoop, star of Arrow. Flash 1, Flash 2, Force of July, Forgotten Heroes, Freedom Fighters, Galactic Golem, Gambler, Garth Danu, Gentleman Ghost, Ghost, Global Guardians, Glorious Godfrey, Green Arrow 1, Green Arrow 2, Green Lantern 1, Gunner and Sarge. Remember them? They talk about here how Pooch is related to Rex the Wonder Dog. Oh, for God's sakes. (laughs) What? They can't be related? That makes me so happy. So, uh, Gypsy, Harbinger, Harpus, Hawk and Dove, Hawk Girl, Hawkman 1, Hawkman 2, Hawkwoman, Hector Hammond, um... How can you have a... Oh, I see. That's when Hawk Girl became Hawk Woman. Okay. Uh, Helix, Our Man 1, Our Man 2, Human Bomb, Huntress 1, Huntress 2. It says here the second Huntress's real name was Helena, because they had her name wrong in, in, in the entry. And it says she died in the crisis on Earth and was never born in the recreated DC universe. You know, Huntress, the pre-crisis Huntress, never really appealed to me much. I'm more of a post-crisis Huntress girl. I liked her as Helena Bertinelli. Uh, Hyathis, Hyena, Insect Queen 1 and 2. That's a fun little section for you. You should read that, Rob. Jade, Jason Bard, Jester, Johnny Cloud, Johnny Thunder 1, Jonah Hex. Now, it says here, it's now known that the year 2050 AD, which is where Jonah Hex was transported, is indeed part of the future of the recreated DC Universe. Only portions portions of the world, though, were ravaged by the nuclear conflict of 2045. So I guess we need to worry about that, because 2045 is not that far away. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm going to start building a bomb shelter. Johnny Thunder with an eye. Johnny Double. Jor-El. Justice is... Now, this is also... Here's another thing, too, in the entry. You talk about Crisis. They, they talk a lot about how, oh, this character from the Superman mythos only exists in the pocket universe now. There's a whole lot of that in here. Oh, my gosh. There's so much of that. Uh, Justice Society of America. Woo! Woo! Talks about them. Love them so much. J. Wilbur Wolfingham. Calabac. Candor, Kid Eternity, Krona, Crypto, Krypton, Kung, Lady Cheyenne, Lady Lunar, wow. League of Assassins, Lord of Time, Luther 1, Luther 3, Machiste, Mademoiselle Marie, Mad Hatter 2. <laughs> Wait, you laughing at me? I like your French accent. You like that? Ha, ha, wait, till ha. Start, wait till I start covering Justice League Europe. Uh, Manhunter 1, Manhunter 2, Manhunters, Mantis. Now, this is the greatest crime against any comic book ever published. It says here, since the superpower series are not part of the mainstream DC continuity, Mantis never assumed the new second form portrayed in his original entry. I am not down with that, brother. See? I, I, I am really pissed about that. So this is, does not sit well with me. Uh, Mara, Martian Manhunter, Marvel Family, Mary Marvel, Master Jailer, Masters of Disaster, Matrix Prime, Amazing Man, Mento, Metal Men, Metamorpho, 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 Midnight, Mind Boggler, Miss Liberty, Mist, Mr. Adam, Mr. Freeze, Mr. Mind, Mr. Mind's Monster Society of Evil, Mr. Mitzi's Pitalik, Mr. Mitzi's Picklick, whatever, uh, Mr. Takitani, Monocle, Multi-Man, Negative Man, Negative Woman, Nemesis, Neptune Perkins, New Gods, Night Force, Nightshade, Nightwing, Nightwing and Flamebird, Northwind. Really? The only good thing here is it says he returned to live in Feathera. Obsidian, Orion, OSS, Outsider. Okay, now listen to this entry on Outsider. Alfred Pennyworth's normal occupation is that of a butler. And his first appearance as Alfred was Batman number 16. Julia Pennyworth does not exist in the recreated DC Universe. Alfred has a brother, though, Wilfred and a niece, Daphne Pennyworth. Okay, they bother with all of that, but they can't say the outsiders outside of DC continuity now? Because that character was stupid. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
Pariah, Patchwork Man, Perdegaton, Phantom Lady, Phantom Zone, Phobia. Then they have some art of Bronze Tiger and uh, talk about him. They've got some art of Halo and talk about her. Plasmus, Plastique, Prankster, Professor Ivo, Psycho Pirate. I wish they said in here he was the only person who remembers the crisis. They don't say that, though. Puzzler, Quake Master, Rob's personal favorite. Yeah. Quicksilver. They talk about how Quicksilver joined the Freedom Fighters. I don't know when the hell that happened. But, um... There's a lot of mention of that here. They take a lot of silver, uh, Golden Age characters that didn't necessarily, you know, make it in the JSA, but they were All-Star Squadron characters. Like, they stuck them all in the Freedom Fighters. It's kind of interesting. Rainbow Raider. Um, let's see. Uh, Ron, Raven, Ray, Reactron. Whoop, whoop. It says uh, that Reactron battled Power Girl, um, not Supergirl in the recreated DC universe. Aww. Then you get Red B. Since the changes in the Red B's history due to the crisis on Infinite Earths have not yet been revealed. I think it's hilarious they took the time to say that about a Red B. They didn't have to mention him at all. <laughs> you know why they mentioned him? Because he's a total badass. That's why. Our buddy Van Z has been posting on Facebook lately all these pictures of Red B from uh, comics that uh, he's collected over the years. It's so I love it. Uh, Robin One, Roy Raymond, Sabak, Sandy the Golden Boy, Star Labs, Sea Devils, Secret Society Supervillains, Seven Soldiers of Victory, Shade, Shazam, Signal Man, Silent Knight. This is where, obviously, somebody, the editors of Who's Who are pissed off at somebody else that did History of the DC Universe. It says, despite the error made in History of the DC Universe, the Silent Knight did indeed live in the time of King Arthur. Wow. Somebody's got their panties in a wad. Silver Ghost, Silver Scarab, Silver Swan, Sinestro, Savannah Family, Slam Bradley, Solomon Grundy, Solomon Grundy won't pants, Spanner's Galaxy, Speedy 1, Speedy 2, Stucker, Starfire 1. Oh, Starfire's not part of the DC Universe. I love that character. Not the one from Teen Titans. Star Rovers, Steel, Sun Devils, Supergirl, Superman 1, Swamp Thing, uh, Sirene, Teen Titans, Terra Man, Thanagar, Time Commander, TNT, Tommy Tomorrow, Toy Man, Tsunami, Two-Face, Ultra, Unknown Soldier, Vandal Savage, Vartox, oh, Vartox, Star of Supergirl, you no longer exist, War Wheel, Wayne Foundation, Whip, Wildcat 2, Wizard, Wonder Woman 1, Wotan, Wrath, and Yellow Perry. So in that giant list, what kind of jumped out at me, I was surprised, is that Commandy didn't make the list. Because we know mm. from other entries that Commandy got wiped out in the crisis. And I'm pretty sure his original entry didn't say that. I think that was in a subsequent one for, like, Tommy Tomorrow or something like that. So it's kind of surprising Commandy's not in there. Considering they make time for so many other... Make time for, yeah, Red B and stuff. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. There's always time for Red B. <laughs> Let's be fair. All right. So the, um, the last page is, you know, the typical... It tells you where... Um, shows you six covers. Uh, and then it, none, other than the Spectre cover, none of these really jump out of me. And then it tells you where you can find other stuff. The only thing's really of interest here, it mentions Rip Hunter. You can watch for his upcoming miniseries, which is becomes the Time Masters miniseries, which is one of the first times I saw sex like openly hinted at in a comic and sort of freaked me out. And uh, this girl, this girl is on like a desk in lingerie, like crawling towards her college professor, trying to seduce him. And I'm like, what? Don't stand so close to me. This makes me feel like climbing the rope in gym class. And then it says, Doctor Savannah. Will, where is it? We'll return in our next Shazam series. So this is after Shazam New Beginning, and so I guess they were planning on another Shazam series. Interesting at this point. Well, Rob, that's it. We're done. That's, who, that's Who's Who Update 87. Just want to give you some perspective on time frame here. Who's Who Update 87 Issue 5, this one, in the books. 
uh, came out in September early uh, 87. That's release date, not cover date. But release date, September 87. Now, update 88, which is what we'll cover next month. Um, yes, we're not taking a, a hiatus, folks. We're going to go right into update 88. That's our commitment uh, to you. <laughs> no victory lap this time. Nope. <clears throat> so that came out, uh, up to, who's who update 88? Number one came out in April 1988. So there was about seven months um, between them, between update 87 and update 88. Whereas in the original who's who, the 26 issue series, and update 87, there was only four months in between those. So they take a little bit more of a hiatus. So I'm kind of hoping with a little bit longer gap there, we'll get some more interesting stuff. I haven't looked at who's who update 88 oof, in a long time. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I can't wait to see what, what comes of it. I love the covers. They're by Ty Templeton. Great I remember cover. a cover with, is it Wotan sitting on yeah, top of the yeah, house? Yeah, they have a big hot dog. There's like a barbecue, and it's everybody hanging Carmel's out. there too, I think. Yeah, Zatanna and Wotan are sitting on a roof, and there's like pocket. It's great. They're great covers. They let them get a little goofy. <laughs> and then, uh, now interesting, you know, by this point in, in history, Who's Who in Star Trek was already done being published. Right. And Who's Who in the Legion was about to start. So our plan, folks, is we're going to cover Who's Who Update 88. Then we're going to cover Who's Who in Star Trek. Right. I, that should be interesting to do, but we're going to do it. Uh, and I don't know whether we're going to do it in two different issue episodes or one. We'll, we'll have to see how what, what we're feeling like. And then Who's Who in the Legion, which uh, is going to give Rob a bit of a vacation for a little while. Oh, thank God. And we're gonna we're gonna that one we are gonna consolidate down to a couple issues, uh, an episode. And I've got a plan. We're gonna bring in the Legion Super Bloggers. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So we'll cover those. So again, the plan is to do update eighty eight, then those two series, and then we go to the loose leaf. Can't wait. So exciting. And then after that, uh, and who's who in Impact? We got to do the Mayfair supplements. Uh, it's gonna be good stuff. Hey, there's a Hero <laughs> Points episode right there. <clears throat> All right. Okay. Well, I think we're gonna take a break. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to do your listener feedback. Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, and I love comics. In fact, I love them so much that I ramble on about them on a number of podcasts, all on one feed, found under the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun banner. I talk about comics with extra page counts, like Treasury Comics, Prestige Format Books, DC's Dollar Comics, Marvel's Giant Size Specials and King Size Daniels, and much, much more. I also love to talk about DC's Christ on Multiple Earth crossovers, free comics from special promos, free comic book day, Star Wars, my life as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, random comic book back issues, and many other elements of geek culture that happen to strike my fancy. There's new content usually dropping at least once a week, and it's all found on one feed. You can subscribe via iTunes, just search for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun in the iTunes Store or podcast app on your iPhone. Otherwise, you can follow the podcast at the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun blog headquarters, available at www.kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com. That's all one word, kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com. Or follow on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. So for snappy review and discussions on comics, new and old, usually done from the front seat of my car or my lunch break at work, check out King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. Two true freaks just got a little more random. Random. 
Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that looks at everything random in the world of popular culture, is now on the Two True Freaks Network. Every episode is something different. Movies, comics, television, music. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork, at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. That's right, folks. It is time to cover your feedback from the previous ep- issue of Who's Who or episode, whatever we want to say, Who's Who Update 87, number four. Uh, remember, folks, if you want to continue the discussions, be sure to use the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. So we're going to jump right into this. We've got a message from uh, Plum Zapluk, or Zapluk. Uh, new one, new one for me. I love Thanks. that backup feature in Amazing Man. That was great. <laughs> Plum Zaplock, yeah. Uh, he says, uh, having the Watchmen characters in issue four just feels wrong because they're not fitting in tonally with the rest of the DC universe at the time. That and the Watchmen don't even have their own parallel Earth in the multiverse, making the inclusion stick out even more. That's a pretty good point. You make a good port plum. Uh, it is kind of strange. But then he goes on to say, lastly, it just annoys me that the Minimem got an entry, but the actual Watchmen don't. <laughs> Sorry, Plum. Uh, go back and check the record there. So, but uh, no, he makes a good point. It is without them having a multiple parallel world, like when you hear about all these parallel Earths and stuff like that, and they never talk about Watchmen because it's like hands off. Other than one April Fool's Day image from Wizard Magazine, where I had like Frank Miller's Dark Knight punching out Rorschach, you know, hinting that there was going to be a big crossover, and it was April Fool's Day joke. That's the only time that they really made us think that there was one of the parallel worlds. Wow, I don't even remember that. It was, it's a fun image. It really is. Her former buddy Tom Panarese, who does the In Country podcast and Pop Culture Affidavit, which is a podcast and a blog, and also used to do the Taking Flight podcast about Robin. He goes, I just, we talked a lot about the protector last time, who was in the drug awareness issues. Uh, and he said, I just wanted to write in and shed a little more light on the character, the protector, who was in that issue of Who's Who, but it only ever appeared in the New Teen Titans drug prevention comics. Um, we had mentioned that in the first story, he was originally drawn to be Robin, but this was changed. And I wasn't sure if that story was true. I had heard that as a kid growing up on the, you know, the, the, har- the harsh playgrounds of, uh, of North Florida. And he goes, it's actually true. According to an interview in volume one of the Titans Companion, George Perez confirms that the story was drawn with Robin leading the Titans. But in a Bisco had the rights to the character, and since Keebler was the one sponsoring the comic, I know. It's ridiculous. I know. Get it out of your system because we're going to talk about it some more. If Marvel and Sony can strike a deal for Spider Man, clearly, couldn't Nabisco and Keebler get along? Um, no. The elves will not have this. They will not be having this. So, anyway, um,. Yes, Nabisco had the rights to Robin, and Keebler was sponsoring this government-issued comic, and apparently that was just a line in the sand nobody was going to cross. So they redrew Robin as uh, – so the, the story I had heard, it was in fact true. They redrew all the Robin artwork as the protector, and Dick Giordano was the one who redrew Robin. So if you're going to meld George Perez artwork with anyone, Dick Giordano is a pretty good choice. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we talked about these whole public service comics, um, public service announcement comics. He says he'll actually be covering some of them in his uh, episode, uh, public service announcement comics, uh, towards the end of his, uh, his this year's comics, uh, sorry, podcast with Pop Culture Affidavit. He's doing the 80 years of DC comics, so be sure to check that out. That's a fun series. 
Yep. Uh, we got an email from Chuck Coletta. He says, hi, fellas. In a recent episode, you mentioned doing an episode related to the book by that book on government comics. By chance, I met the author of that book a few years ago. Richard Graham is a cool guy and I think might be interested in being on the show. And he sent us a link uh, to a little bit about this. the author. He says, I don't think he'd recall me, but I found him impressive and a good one with whom to talk comics. That sounds really cool, Chuck. Thank you for the link. I appreciate it. Chuck has met all kinds of cool people. Uh, if you listen to the feedback section of the latest Film and Water, he sent me another, another email about how he met some old-timey actors. So Chuck is out there doing cool things. That's very cool. Now, I got the government issue book. Um, last episode I talked about it. I got um, – it's a really cool timepiece if you want to see the breadth of government issue comics from all of time. But if you want to hone in on that 80s stuff – Probably not the book for you. So. Okay. But it's still a fun book. A lot of cool stuff uh, from the old days. It's, it's a lot of fun. Heard from my buddy Jason Mark Markinette. He says uh, he thinks we should do a, an episode covering the government PSA comics. And says he's working on a full run of Amazing Spider-Man right now, but whenever he runs into the Spider-Man PSA comics, he has to grab them up. So another vote for the, uh, the PSA mm. comics. All right. Zoom Yukonori, of course, our pal from the line and is drawn in the zoomyukonori.blogspot.com. He says, a sigh is still a sigh, and a sign of Rob's impending disapproval. <laughs> <laughs> Marine, and uh, he goes through the characters. I, th- I think you sighed at the beginning of uh, uh, the, what, what page was it this time? The Vanguard? I think you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, God sakes. Um, he goes through the characters uh, one at a time here. We'll cherry pick a few. Marine Marauder, Rob, as you may be aware, Alan Davis had this version of the character tangled with Aquaman in his first Justice League, the Nail Elseworld series, in a brief team up with Ocean Master. That's a great series. I, I forgot. I mentioned, I don't think, in some episode, I mentioned that Alan Davis only drew stuff. I completely forgot that he wrote The Nail. Dude, and The Nail is fantastic. It's a great series. Great, great series. The whole, the whole premise is what if a nail had popped the tire of Pop right. Kent's truck? Right. And there's no, basically no Superman. What, what would right. happen at that point? Yeah, great series. So it was the sequel. Um, uh, Mentala, Rob, your story about this entry inspiring you to seek out the comic story reminds me of what I have loved about DC Comics in the 70s and 80s, where a mention of a past story in the narrative footnoted with an editor's note would inspire a new back issue hunt. And the back cover on this issue serves as a helpful editor's note for this entry. I have to say that wasn't just a DC thing. Marvel was was good about that too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the whole edit, the footnotes. I mean, I can't tell you how many comics I sought out because of footnotes. Absolutely. <laughs> Red Ghost appeared in Fantastic Four number thirteen. Smile and stand. <laughs> uh, Zoom goes on to talk about Moonbow, who I mentioned last time, a Firestorm character. He says Moonbow's logo because we made fun of Moonbow's logo. I mean, you you actually went on to be like, you know. Crack some jokes about, all right, it's done. I mean, it was pretty funny if you go back and listen. And it goes, Moonbow's logo is actually from the cover of Fire Fury of Firestorm Volume 1, number 48, her first costume appearance. I completely forgot about that. And then uh, he gave us a lot more information about the, the Robin protector thing as well. I, I don't want to repeat it because we just already said it from Tom, but I want to get him credit. Uh, he, he quoted in a, an interview from Comics Interview Number 50 with Andy Man- Mangles, I think is how you say it. Andy so, Mangles, yeah. Yep, so uh, a lot more information out there. We appreciate that. He also says, and on your side note about the animated drug advert, I actually had a VHS of that PSA as part of a TV advertising archive back when I was working in Asia in the 1990s. Unfortunately, it had succumbed to mold damage and become unplayable. I also remember Teen Titans being a planned ABC Saturday morning cartoon series, and my understanding was that the plans fell through for for some reason, and the team behind that pitch were asked to take over the animation of the Super Friends franchise, which led to the Super Powers team season, to which they carried over the cyborg character and design. If you want more on that, uh, Tom Panneries actually provided a link. It's over at Titan Tower 
I'm sorry, titanstower.com slash um, Hannah Barbera New Teen Titans, but that has hyphens in between each. Hannah hyphen Barbera hyphen New hyphen Teen hyphen Titans. And you can actually watch, the whole PSA is there. Oh, you great. Can watch, Super. Yeah, you can watch the whole PSA there. Now, it doesn't have the commercial. As far as, well, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it shows you the animation, but I don't think you can hear the sound on it. I don't think you can see the, what they're saying. But either way, um, you can read that. You can see the animation stills. You can see the model sheets. It's great. It's a great resource. Talking about the New Teen Titans cartoon. So, awesome. Uh, our buddy Michael Kiroskiro from the non-existent Batman and the Outsiders blog wrote in. And he had lots of comments. Just to cherry-pick a few, he talked about Magpie. He said, I always thought she was ridiculously hot. Rob's right. Smoking body, especially when drawn by Byrne. Obviously, the fishnets and the abundant cleavage have a lot to do with that. Her hair always caused me to wince, too, though. But, it's, but I always had a soft spot for this character beyond reason, really. He goes on to say, uh, I think the big part of my attraction to her is just how hot Byrne drew her. And he says she did appear in the recent and short-lived Beware the Batman animated series. And uh, he sent us a picture of that. And she looks like she's basically just wearing uh, underwear or lingerie is kind of what it is. But her hair looks just sort of, uh, I don't know, normal, I guess is the best way to put it. It yeah, doesn't look yeah. in- as insane. Let's put she it looks way. like a goth girl. In their yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, Marine Marauder's entry is gorgeous. Ty Templeton is amazing. Every time you see his art, I'm impressed. And I'll have you know, my non-existent Batman the Outsiders blog is flourishing in my mind. <laughs> he goes on to talk about the Outsiders. He says, agreed, Rob. The team was definitely beyond their selling point at this point. I don't even remember this part of the run, frankly. I lost interest at that point. For my hypothetical blog, I have to hunt these down again and try to make myself reread them. See, even a big Batman and the Outsiders fan finds the later years dismal. <laughs> he talks about power, the Power Girl entry. He goes, that's a pretty sweet Power Girl entry. Love the action shots in the Serpent and her hands-on-hip pose in the foreground. Uh, it looks alive and appropriate here. She seems to have a real authority and presence in that stance. I love it. I've seen some images of the Mary Wilshire Power Girl Secret Origin online before, and I'd love to pick up that issue one day just for the art. You should do it. We got a message from our pal Siskoid from Siskoid's blog of Geekery, Legion of Super Bloggers, and of course a Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I should mention before we move on this, last week's episode of the Fire and Water podcast, which featured Lady Cop, uh, featured a live appearance from Lady Cop, uh, play, played by uh, an actress named Isabel Gauguin. And she was uh, connected to us from Siskoid. He, he helped make that uh, love connection happen. So thank you very much, Siskoid, because she did a great job playing Lady Cop. Speaking of Lady Cop, who definitely should have gotten a who's who listing? Lady Cop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm now, kidding. by the way, I, I think we – this has nothing to do with who's who. Sorry, guys. But I think we raised the profile of Lady Cop last week because somebody else was tweeting about Lady Cop to Gail Simone. And oh, Gail really? started talking about Lady Cop last week. Oh, that's week. funny. Oh, geez. Okay. And it's just like, I, I think we started something. <laughs> I hope so. I'm going to bring her back. Come on. Get somebody going. Anyway, uh, Cisco points out a drinking game. When Chad calls Mentala, Mentalia, lose your freaking mind, exclamation mark. <sighs> okay. I heard it from enough folks. Yes, I said it wrong repeatedly. Forgive me. It's my new nuclear. Okay. <laughs> um. He, he it, You know, we talk about sometimes there's a lot more morts in some issues than others. Clearly, last issue had a lot of morts, and you can measure that by how many Ciscoid entries he did of Who's That? <laughs> uh, he did one for Mad Men. You can find that over at ciscoid.blogspot.ca. did one for Mad Men. He did one for Magpie. He did one for uh, Phantom of the Fair. Uh, he did one for Protector. So clearly, there's a lot of morts in that issue, uh, even though we both enjoyed it quite a bit. 
It says, Monel. There's a feature we do in the Legion of Superbloggers, and Siskoid heads it up. It's called a Hot or Not. And they talk about a character, and he brings together these four young ladies. I think it's four, maybe it's five. Brings together this group of young ladies who have no Legion experience whatsoever. And he shows them several pictures of these of this Legionnaire and talks about the character, and the girls decide what whether they think the character is hot or not. It's it's a it's a lot of fun. And uh he says that because we talked about Monel last time. He goes, I don't think there was a hero who was considered as hot as strongly as Monel was in the Legion Hot or Not feature. So there you go. The ladies thought he was hot. Hmm. Uh, I I suggested that someone should start up a podcast or a blog dedicated to the Charlton characters, the uh, the uh, the action heroes or the blockbuster title, if you want. And he says uh, an action heroes blog or podcast availability availability of the original comics is an issue, but it could be cool. For someone, I'm not saying that that person is me. I think Siskoid, you might be pretty good at that. If not, someone needs to get on that because that's that's just waiting to happen. A Charlton podcast, it'd be awesome. There's a Charlton movie in the works, a documentary. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's crowdfunded. Uh, you know, uh, crowdfunded. I'm not sure on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but it's yeah, it's definitely going on. Paul Kupperberg's involved. The whole that whole gang is is doing it. Well, that's great. You, you just made the mistake of opening the doors of, of obscure documentaries. Um, this has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. Sorry. It's apropos of nothing. But uh, I just watched recently, like, my favorite documentary ever now. It's a 30-minute documentary dedicated to Clue, the VCR board game. Wow. <laughs> I play, So I'm, I'm bringing this up. because Michael you Moore, you've done it again. <laughs> If anyone listening ever played the Clue VCR game, I want you to let me know in the comments on Firestorm, fam. I loved the crap out of the Clue VCR board game. And and someone mentioned the, the game recently, and I was like, oh my gosh, I just hadn't thought about it in years. I mean, I had dialogue memorized, and I went looking, and I couldn't believe there was this documentary. And I just, I, I, I fell in love with the game all over again. So, anyway, anyone, if anyone ever played the Clue board game, let me know. I love having a podcast and talking about whatever I want. <laughs> We're doing Siskoid's comments still, sorry. Okay, Karak, I'm fine with comments using fictional countries, but it's very weird that Karak contains real cities like Abu Dhabi. That, I've never heard of that. That's a fake city. Abu Dhabi? That sounds very silly. Come on, Siskoid. <laughs> um, Siskoid then goes on. <laughs> I'm an American. Right. Oh, God, don't even start that. Um, Siskoid went on to say, uh, overthrow sport of lacrosse is, believe it or not, Canada's national sport to the great ire of hockey fans. I've never seen a lacrosse match, never had it taught in school, never met anyone who plays it, and have never come across it in an arena built for it. So I just pointed out to him that actually Overmaster Sport was high lie. It's right there in the text. Reading is fundamental, Siskoid. <laughs> and uh, he wrote back, ah, yes, the sport of gangsters. <laughs> I suppose this proves that, one, I didn't read the entry, and two, I really don't know anything about Canada's <laughs> official national sport. <laughs> oh, I love Siskoid. A lot of fun. Her former buddy Joe X, uh, a couple of items he said, he goes, if Mr. Bones and Hooded Justice from the Minutemen seem to have similar costumes, it's because they both were based on the Black Terror from the Golden Age. You know, I didn't even pick up on that. But it's clearly that's absolutely true. Yeah, that guy's kind of, and the Black Terror is one of the coolest looking characters from the forties. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and Alex Ross's version of him for the dynamic superpower or yeah, dynamite great. superpowers. Looks Oof, great. So good. Yeah. Uh, he said, uh, Joe X goes on to say, I would love to see someone um, bring back all the cheesy '80s Soviet villains. Oh, 
Dude, that would be so awesome, like a Cold War revival thing. Like, I talked about how much I like the, the the Rocket Reds. I think part of it is just growing up in the 80s, I have a real affection for fictional Soviet bad guys. Like, they're just so cool and cheesy, and especially in the comics. It's like, I just love them. And uh, that would be so cool to see a bunch of them brought together. Because, like, even Marvel's version of the Soviet p- characters I love, you know? So, uh, yeah, I'd be in for that. There's a new group, Putin's Pirates. I said retro. <laughs> not, not what's going oh, on nowadays. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to violate this delicate little fantasy of constructing for yourself. Talking about politics. Don't do it. Uh, just He's a world leader. What are you talking about? Joe X also said regarding our Murphy Anderson tribute episode. Uh, he says Hawkman was the only one of the Silver Age revamps not to cross over with his Golden Age counterpart in his own title. Flash fact. Hmm. I also like the artist-focused theme. This could work well as future fill-in podcasts. Um, thank you, Joe. By the way, we're not thinking of doing any of the those greatest hits as like fill-in shows, as like to replace a show we would normally do, but as bonus ones. So I just think it would be kind of fun to repurpose some of that material. It, I had a lot of fun going through those old episodes and pulling out clips. So, um, you know, that might be something we could do. Or who's who in Aquaman, who's who in Firestorm, where we just pull together all those bits and put them together. I was just going to say, actually, uh, in Nick, well, it's almost next year. In 2017, Firestorm turns 40 years old. That'd be a great time to do like a Firestorm clip show. Yeah. So, all right. Very cool. Uh, let's see. Some guy named Shag uh, posted something about how all the great feedback we were getting on Facebook, and this was on the Firestorm fan blog, and Siskoid said, Shag actually answered on the blog? These are the end days. I'm alone and afraid. (laughs) He brings up a good point. I don't go into the comment threads very often on Firestorm fan. And there's a reason. We spent two hours already talking about these characters, and then we're going to talk about your feedback in the next episode. So if I'm not in the comments, it's not that I'm, like, snubbing people and not involved in the comment threads. It's just it's y'all's chance to talk. So, you know, have at, my friends. Earth 2 Chris from the Supermates and Power Record shows. Um, He mentions – oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Go That's ahead. fine. Well, you can talk about Magpie. It's fine. Okay. He mentions Magpie. He says, she could have been a contender, but then Max Allen Collins used her, and his touch on his touch of death on Batman is well known. <laughs> I told you before, I bought that one issue of Legends with her and never bought another Batman. I really like Max Allen Collins as a writer. I like his mystery comic, and I like his Dick Tracy stuff, but his stuff on Batman was just atrocious. <laughs> uh, Chris says Lois in this John Byrne drawing says Lois looks happier here than in any comic Byrne wrote or drew I believe Byrne went too far with the strong assertive uh, Lois and honestly made her pretty unlikable I preferred the character uh, once Ordway, Stern and Jurgens fleshed her out you know that's an interesting observation because for me I didn't come to the Superman titles in post-crisis until the Ordway, Stern and Jurgens era like I, I came in with the, the case of the Crimson Kryptonite when Lois and Clark got engaged, mm-hmm. and I and I went back and read a lot of the Burn issues, but by then and I had already fallen in love with the Superman universe, and I really liked the character of Lois, and I didn't think about the fact that she was frankly bitchy in the early Superman days, and that's uh, that's a fair point. It's worth pointing out. Good observation, Chris. Uh, Cindy must have gave you that one. Next up is the Muse. Uh, but I'm sorry, this is still Earth Two Chris. But um, well, how the Muse wrote in? It's amazing, yeah, right? It's a comment from Earth Two Chris about the Muse. It says the character influenced a comic creation of my own, the Mask. Years before I knew of the Dark Horse character made famous by Jim Carrey, my character had a mask that was half comedy and half drama. So even Mort's can inspire. <laughs> you know what? That story makes me so happy because he's absolutely right. I mean, sometimes the stupid characters make you, you know, really passionate. Mm-hmm. Just look at uh, everything Philemon likes. 
<laughs> uh, he also says, also, I loved when Rob told Jag to shut the hell up. Mommy and Daddy are fighting again. <laughs> Screw you, Rob. Uh, then Shut we learn from our buddy, from our buddy Jeff R. He comes up with our egregious omission of the month, and he says uh, the the omission the of the month. The first honorable mention goes to Pozar, who didn't get a very long career before becoming part of the Firestorm Matrix. I agree, Pozar deserved at least a half page entry. He really did. The second goes to the Outcasts, a non-universe DC Maxi series that was a lot better than most of the ones who did get Who's Who entries. <laughs> because if you can give two pages to the Lords of Ultra Realm, <laughs> they need to get uh, need to give either one of these uh, to wait. It doesn't matter. Whatever he goes on, it's just making fun of the Lords of the Ultra Realm. Good job. And I apparently can't read. Then he goes, but the top spot goes to Maxwell Lord, which might have been an awkward entry given how much of the character's backstory had been deliberately kept mysterious at the time, but that's no excuse, is it? No, they could have absolutely done a Maxwell Lord entry and just done it uh, Booster Gold style with very little text. It would have been cool. A Kevin McGuire Maxwell Lord entry would have been beautiful. And uh, you're up. Uh, yep, he mentions, and if the Protector actually gets his own listing, I'm going to retroactively insert an egregious omission of the month for the TRS-80 WizKids back in the original series. I absolutely want to see that. Created by Paul Kupperberg. So, uh, I oh my god, I just, I laughed so hard at that, as we'll see in a moment. Did, did DC publish that? They were the Radio Shack comics. Right, but D, did DC have anything to do with that? Yeah, they were DC Radio Shack comics. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Well, and what did you say about this? Well, I, okay, I said, uh, I wrote Zoom. I commented to Zoom, are you reading this? <laughs> He said he's going to go uh, find his TRS-80 computer. <laughs> I had a TRS-80. I remember we had a, when we bought it, it had 16K of RAM. Ooh. Yeah. And my dad had it upgraded to 32K of RAM. We like, were badass. It took so long to download porn. Uh, I suppose. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. No. No. Not at that age. Sorry, pal. <laughs> I'm going to torrent this file. It's going to take oh six, six and a half years. <laughs> For a five-second clip, <laughs> I remember. Uh, I remember the first animated GIF I downloaded. It did take about two hours for like something that was like I don't know, probably three panels. Anyway, uh, and Zoom goes on to say again. I will mention that th- uh, this is about Korak. You were talking about it earlier, but I'll mention that this Korak was located on the map as about um, a Syria. It was about the size of Syria, sitting between Iraq and the Persian Gulf overriding the location of a couple of real-world countries that would never wind up being politically significant at all, including um, Kuwait. He goes on to say the DC Universe Gulf War that Hitman and some other characters fought in must have been pretty weird. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a fair statement. Heard from our buddy Anthony Durso, who goes by the Toy Room, who does these amazing custom Mego boxes. You should check them out. This is Lords of the Ultra Realm. Doug Mensch must have had some incriminating evidence on the DC execs in the 80s to explain how he got all of these lame, high-concept, greenlit as miniseries. I couldn't even say that without laughing. You're, I think you're right. I think he had some photos in a safe. Uh, Metallo and Parasite. I prefer the original versions of these Burn-Era reboots. Superman is often criticized for not having the greatest rogues gallery, but I don't see how these modern versions were improvements. Um, I wanted to read that because that's an unusual statement. Um, not a lot of people will come out and say that these redos weren't worth it. So I'm, I'm glad he said it, I, and I want him to stand by his statement, and that's very interesting. I, I don't have a lot of experience with the pre-crisis Superman in the Bronze Age. He's not my favorite, but I'm glad somebody likes it. Very good. Um, Minuteman, he says, how fitting that Dr. Bill is featured... 
dollar bill is featured in this issue, considering the plethora of extra-long capes on the McFarlane cover. Syndrome? Syndrome, anyone? Which is a wonderful reference to The Incredibles. Thank you very much, Anthony. Love that. Regarding Overthrow, he says, Len Wein must have been indeed been a fan of High Lie. Not only he created Overthrow, but also Scoop Shovel of the Demolition Team. <laughs> He had a long night of binge drinking at the uh, at the highlight gambling place, or he lost a lot of money and promised he would help promote their sport if he'd get out of hock by putting in comics. Could have been that too. Our buddy Martin Gray from Too Dangerous for Girl blog. He recently appeared on an episode of Secret Origins, but he was speaking a foreign language. I couldn't understand a word he said. Uh, he says, "I'm no Todd McFarlane fan, but I like this cover loads more than Rob." It's a grabby image, and I don't mind that no one dominates, um, and so often is uh, normally it's the wrong person in the foreground anyway. So, yeah, there you go. Someone else said the McFarlane cover's not so bad. So, there you go, Mr. Kelly. Wow. He points out that Mohawks are never hot. Not on anyone, ever. And especially not on Magpie, who looks like an elderly male clown. <laughs> My gosh. You know, I don't think... Did we catch on to the trend of Mohawks last issue? With Marie I mentioned Marauder. it. I said there were two Mohawks in a row. But there were three in the book. Right. I think I said that, too. All on women. Yeah, I think I said How all strange. that. strange. I don't remember... Did, yeah, were, you talk, were you talking last episode? Nah. I don't even remember that. Um, anyway, and he says, good idea about Power Girl and, and Daxum Shag. We all had it 30 years ago. Now, he misunderstood where I was going. I, I knew that people had thought of Power Girl being a Daxamite. I was suggesting tying her to the Legion in the 30th century, which, again, check out an upcoming post on Legion of Super Bloggers page for that. Feel free in the comment section to rip me apart if you want, Martin, and tell me that, that that's also old ideas. But that's where I was going with it. Uh, he also says, oh, and I agree with my chums above. Burns Lois was a right old bag. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. A real bitch. <laughs> Is that what that means? Yeah. Okay. Wow, right old, old bag. Yeah, an old bag. Yeah. Harsh. You gotta watch more Doctor Who. Get your get up to speed. No. Her from Jeff Nettleton, uh, who was recently on the Secret Origins podcast. And I don't know, something inside of me feels that Jeff Nettleton's like one step away from a podcast of his own. But I have nothing to base that on. But based on his, his amazing amount of knowledge, I seem like he's ripe for something. Uh, he pointed out uh, he, he gave us this huge list of other stuff on the uh, on the newsstand outside of DC Comics. Thank you for that. Those amazing amount of books. I'm not going to go through them now, but uh, really interesting reading. And then he goes on to say about uh, Peacemaker. He says if you think that helmet is funky, check out this one. And he sent us an image to an old Charlton comic. Man, Peacemaker's helmet is a hot mess. Uh, so I guess the one we get in DC is actually better, which is kind of shocking. He goes on to say about the Phantom of the Fair, that was actually an homage to a Centaur Comics character, Phantom, which is F-A-N-T-O-M, Phantom of the Fair, who appeared in 1938 with Adventures at the World's Fair. That totally sounds like a Roy Thomas thing to do. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love World's Fair stuff. I'm like a fan of World's Fair Arcana, books about it, things like that. I have a World's Fair ring from the 1939 New York World's Fair wow. that I got from my, uh, that my, uh, my dad had. So I love all that stuff. So. You should go hang out with Roy. I, I I'd love to. I've talked to Roy. I've interviewed Roy. Uh, I love I'd love to meet him. Uh, I've, I always send him a, a birthday greeting on his email every year. He's just a nice guy. Aww. Very nice guy. Uh, anyway, regarding Jim Valentino, uh, he says his claim to fame at this point was Normal Man, not capitalized, at Dave Sims Aardvark Vanaheim. Very much came out of an underground mindset that we turned into a decent superhero artist in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I remember Normal Man. I used to buy that comic. That's funny. I haven't thought about that book in years. Um, <laughs> he says, always enjoy these who's who. I'm glad to hear I'm not the only person who lets out a big sigh when he comes across mediocrity and stupidity. Breathe on, Rob. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. 
You know that Guardians of the Galaxy that Valentino did? Um, I really dug that series. That's the 90s one, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And um, I enjoyed the hell out of that comic. I really did. Yeah. Uh, Ange from Supergirl Comic Box Commentary and the Legion of Superblockers wrote in. Uh, mentions a couple characters. The Mikado. His face as the Mikado is actually a mask, a Mikado mask, hence the wild clown, the white clown circles on his cheek. Spalding was African American. The issue where he's introduced, mm. the issue where he's introduced is, ch- I think we said that because you see him in the surprint that he's that he's African American. Anyway, it says the issue where he's introduced is chilling. The punishment fits the crime, so he flays the flesh of an overweight guy who hoards food and doesn't let his wife and kids eat. The issue opens with him slowly lowering a guy who is awake into a cauldron of boiling water. He cooks the guy. Yeesh. That's nasty. Wow. Sounds kind of like the Spectre in the Jim Aparo days, you know? Yep. This is the question. I love the new series, reading it monthly when it came out. He does indeed die at the end of the first issue, battered by Shiva, shot in the head with a twenty-two bullet and dumped in the river. But uh, through a bunch of medical con- uh, coincidences, he survives and is brought to Dragon for training. It's all Zen and literal ideas, perfect for the adolescent Ange at the time. <laughs> Here from our buddy Michael Bailey from From Crisis to Crisis, Tales of the JSA, Views from the Long Box, and a million other things. Says he appreciates the From Crisis to Crisis shout-out on the latest Who's Who episode. Quick correction, though. My co-host is Jeffrey Taylor, not Scott Gardner. Yes, I was aware of that. I misspoke, and boy, did I hear about it. A lot of people. So <laughs> that's why I was so uh, heavy on the emphasis earlier when I said Jeffrey Taylor. Terribly sorry about that. I got Tales of the JSA and From Crisis to Crisis a little mixed up and said the wrong thing. Terribly sorry. Uh, he says, if I recall correctly, the parasite got a, quote, DNA sample, quote, from Lex Luthor while disguised as Lois Lane. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, okay. Mike also wrote in to talk about... Um, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, just different things from the books. And he said, uh, also, I was surprised y'all liked Rampage so much. I was expecting shots fired when you got to the character, but the main problem uh, Shag seemed to have was the art. It makes sense now because Shag is such a fan of the Will Payton Starman series, but before then, I assumed the worst. Rampage is one of the supporting hero characters from the post-crisis era that I always had a fondness for. Me too. Shame that Byrne did the cut and paste with that armor, though. Bradley Null, who's our buddy over on Instagram, who's been posting a lot, uh, quite a bit with the hashtag from Who's Who. Also, uh, according to his po- Instagram post, apparently he was singing the theme song. Way to go, man. He gave a shout-out to Mind Dancer. Very cool. Not enough love out there for Mind Dancer. He says, I remember wanting to, uh, so much more from her, like I did from most Booster Gold's early villains. My champion's role-playing game was littered with rip-offs of Booster villains. Most of mine had more screen time than the originals. I love that. So cool. He says, um... He says, I pointed, because Shag's pointing out of the weird chainmail feature on Rampage ruined the picture forever for me. Thanks. I'm telling you, go back and look at that uh, Rampage image from Huzu and look at the chainmail and you will realize it is a bad cut and paste job. It really is. So, And he says, uh, this is interesting, he read the Who's Who comic along as, as we do the podcast, as he always does. And he says, uh, he was taking a part of his day to sit and listen with a physical copy of the comic, uh, and it's become one of his favorite things to do. Normally he's at home while listening, but for the last episode, he was interrupted and had to go uh, do a good part of his listening in a public waiting room. Because it was interesting. I had not realized how long it had been since I read a comic book in public. I read things in trade or digital form often now, out of convenience. It turns out that if you aren't reading an actual comic book, people can't interrupt you with questions. I miss answering those questions from strangers, as it turns out. So thanks for being part of that discovery. 
That's a good point. When you're reading on your tablet nowadays, they just assume you're on your Facebook. They don't realize you're sitting there reading a comic. Yeah, maybe so. Very cool. Yeah. Wolfgang Hartz wrote in, Sorry, Rob, but I agree with Shag about Todd McFarlane. I love the way he draws capes in his unique panel lance on things like Infinity Inc. There's no need to apologize. I When I give my opinion, it's because it's half my show, and it's for me to say, but I'm not trying to sway anybody. I don't like the stuff. I never did, but don't feel bad about liking it. It is interesting how much you really despise him so much. I did, I, I feel like I feel like he is one of the avatars of the total style over substance of comics that just completely dominated comics in the nineties. Like, oh, he is. Absolutely. Well, well, that's right. that, okay. Yeah. Well, that's part of the reason I don't like it. I, I mean, I think if he had just kind of come and gone, or it had a sort of middling career, I'd be like, eh, all right, whatever. He was a you know not very talented guy that. You know, whatever. But the fact that he dominated so heavily makes me just look sort of extra angry. It's he's like the Michael Bay of comics. He just makes garbage. It's <laughs> got super popular for some reason. But hey, whatever. Well, what I wish, if, if if we could play the what if game, I wish he had continued to draw like Marvel comics and stuff, but with a different with a writer, because like his issues of Amazing Spider-Man with David the Dick, David Michelini issues, those are great. Okay. I love them. So. Anyway, all right. Heard from my buddy Canada Clark. He goes, no love for Moonbow? I really thought Shag would have had a soft spot for her considering she is super stacked and a natural redhead. Besides, how can you not love a girl with an obvious gem in the holograms moon over her eye? <laughs> oh, don't bring up gem in the holograms. <laughs> I literally fell in love with this character for those, for those two issues. It cemented my love for tall, gorgeous women. The taller, the better. You know, uh, I may have to reevaluate my opinion when we get to, to get to her again in the uh, monthly review shows we've done. Because I, I haven't read those issues maybe once since they were originally published. I don't know. Um, yeah, so it's been a long time. I feel like Canada Clark's favorite movie is Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Aww. <laughs> uh, Jose Rivera writes in, he says, as for Overthrow, a cool design, but much like Cannon and Saber, doesn't look like he'd fit in more with Ninja Force line of G.I. Joe's in the 1990s. His file card read of a small bio on how he went to join up with Cobra, but they but they didn't uh, give a crap about him, so they just signed him to Ninja Force based on his look. <laughs> it would have a picture of him shrugging, and the quote on the bottom would read, for the last time, I'm not a ninja. I play High Lie. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that quite a bit. This, this, I shouldn't even go down this road because we have to end the show soon, and it's not going to be funny, but there was a series, there was a, a series of episodes in Mad Men where this rich kid wants to spend a bunch of Sterling Cooper uh, – he wants to spend a bunch of his money on Sterling Cooper to promote High Lie in America. And the whole joke is this guy's an idiot and he's got tons of money and Sterling Cooper should morally talk him out of it. But they won't because they just want to take his money. And he keeps going on and on about how High Lie is going to be popular in America. And they have a hero, a, a big player named Patchy who is the hero of High Lie. And every so often he would say, you know, he would be, uh, he would, they would question whether Highlight's going to take off in America. He'd go, yes, but we have Patchy. And like for years later, all Darnell and Tracy, I use that around the house. Every so often, we'll be just something comes up and go, yes, but we have Patchy. <laughs> I don't know why. It's not funny. It's not going to translate, but I'm telling the story anyway. It's okay. Every, every time I hear part two of something, I say electric boogaloo to the yeah. point where my nine-year-old said it the other day. I said something too, and she goes, electric boogaloo? Yeah. It's, like, part of the, it's part of the culture. Nobody even knows what it's from anymore. Exactly. Uh, we heard from Michelle Fief. 
who is a comic book writer. He writes uh, his own independent comics and some stuff for Marvel. He, I, Carl Potts drew the entry for who last time? Oh, shoot. It was a Ditko character. Mad Men. Mad Men. Thank you. And uh, we, were, we thought that was really odd. Well, he wrote in here, he says, Carl Potts uh, was briefly Ditko's editor at Marvel, and he was a huge Ditko fan. And he actually gives us a, uh, a link to some stuff about how Carl Potts drew Steve Ditko's question. And uh, he says, I guess Robert Greenberger knew that when he had Potts draw the Mad Men issue. And then he goes on to say, I cannot wait for the next four episodes, because he mentions Ty Templeton. And I didn't get what he was talking about until you just reminded me that Ty Templeton does the covers for the next four issues. Yep. I should be, can't wait. We're from Joe Massaro, I think is how you say that. He says, just want to touch on Magpie. Surprisingly, she's had more of a presence in the DC Universe than you guys might expect. She's one of the several low-rent Batman villains that Harvey Dent assassinated when he was briefly free of his Two-Face persona and styled himself as a vigilante. In the Public Enemy storyline, which, by the way, I've read, so I should have picked up on this. In the Public Enemy storyline from the Superman-Batman title, Superman asks about Magpie, and Batman tells him that she's dead, to which Superman responds... Why don't the good villains ever die? And Batman replies, Clark, what the hell are good villains? It's <laughs> a good line. And he says, most notably, uh, Magpie went on to become a re- reoccurring villain in the short-lived Beware the Batman series, where she got a costume, uh, got a serious hotness upgrade. And just like uh, the, the previous right person had written in talking about that, he sent us some more links to the animated series stuff. And then, just because he knows me well enough, he included a link uh, to a girl cosplaying Magpie in her Beware the Batman series, which is pretty much just lingerie. So, thank you for that, Joe. I appreciate that. Heard from our buddy Brian Daly um, from the Secret Origins, Flowers and Fish Knots, and Dead Both and Spies podcast. He says, uh, it takes all kinds of artistry to make Power Girl look bland and unsexy. I guess Todd McFarlane put all his efforts into the proto-spawn and the rock formations. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Heard from uh, Abel Padilla. He says, quick word about the muse only because I just read his story in the Blue Beetle Showcase. Part of the fun of the, the story is that he gathers together the many gangs of Chicago in a bid to overthrow the organized crime family in charge at the time. Those gangs were clearly influenced by the movie The Warriors and the sheer variety of motifs each of the gangs followed. Huh. That's pretty cool. I guess Len Wein was looking to mix things up in Chicago. That's pretty awesome. Warriors! <laughs> and then uh, in regard to the Murphy Anderson episode, he says, a note on this pointy... Uh, I almost said boobs. A note on the pointy boots you mentioned. As far as I can tell, that was an artistic call-out to Lou Fine. Lou Fine would draw the boots for many of his characters that way. Not sure why, but it was his style. So, cool. Heard from Boston Moss. He says, uh, let's see, we were talking about, uh, oh, Mr. 104. He goes, after Who's Who, Mr. 104 appeared in the Suicide Squad annual but didn't survive the issue. At least he didn't appear to, anyway. Uh, I, I think last time you even mentioned that he was at Bell Reeve and that uh, he could appear in the Suicide Squad. So, guess he guess he took one for the team there, literally. <laughs> Our buddy Philemon, who, uh, Philemon's well known for writing in nonsense and uh, loving things that just make no sense and are crazy, like Jericho. So he writes in here, he goes, I've been uh, in a bit of a funk about the podcast lately, since the update to Who's Who just didn't have the gonzo crazy characters that were so commonplace in the original series. Well, um, that's a perfect example of his nuttiness. And apparently this issue did appeal to him because there were some great ones. He said, Mad Men, these guys are the perfect example of the sort of fun characters that I'm talking about. And proof of this is the run of Blue Beetle that was the last great comic that DC put out before everything became dark and gritty. Look at those colors. I made a custom superpowers action figure of the lead Madman, Fleeter. And although quite challenging, it was my most rewarding figure to create. <laughs> so one... Awesome that you made your own custom superpowers figure. Two, that explains everything I just said before that. 
He says the double shot of Marine Marauder and Mentala is definitely a highlight of this issue. The color schemes and art for these two are quite stunning. On a side note, I'm impressed that neither of you defaulted to outsider hate when covering Marine Marauder. Maybe you have matured. I know what Feynman's talking about. I love the outsiders. I'm always defending the outsiders. I'm, I'm always defending it against this guy. So, Philemon, you got to pay more attention. I love Batman and the Outsiders. Uh, but we're always bashing on him. I'm we, not. We All right, then we, in a playful way, take the Mickey out of most of it. I, I love the Outsiders. Batman and the Outsiders number 19 is one of my all-time favorite comics. Okay. The the People's Heroes, you couldn't even get through the entry but last not, time. But that's not Outsiders. Yes, it is. No, it, no, those are the villains, but that's not the, like the book itself. Every look, I love Aquaman, but a lot of his villains are lame. It, it's please. Okay, I love the well, outside. I, I love the outsiders. There, I've said. It. Okay, I think what he's talking about is us picking on the outsiders team. All right, carry okay. uh, book, not the team, but the book, because Marine Marauder was not part of the outsiders. Marine right. Marauder was a villain. Right. So. right. Okay. Anyway, he goes on to say, I have fond memories of the Protector. I, like every other comic book nerd who was handed one of those anti-drug issues in the 80s, wondered who the heck this kid was and what had happened to Robin. But as I read the issues with their, with their objective morality, this spoke to my young soul. I looked past the cognitive dissonance that everyone thought of this newbie as the leader of the Teen Titans and began to be won over by the Protector's single-minded determination. As a matter of fact, when I played superheroes in the backyard as a younger kid... Um, the costume I envisioned myself wearing was patterned after Jason Hart's, and my backstory was similar to him. I led a superhero group called the Drug Busters, and we fought <laughs> against the evil pushers that populated my very white, middle-class suburban neighborhood. Wow, Philemon. I mean, that is fascinating. I mean, it's, I love these kind of background and origin stories, and it also goes to prove just how freaking insane you are. But he does go on here to make a point. He says, I feel it's really important to say at this point that despite everything I just wrote, I still somehow wound up married to a wonderful woman who lets me occasionally touch her in romantic ways. <laughs> you know what, buddy? I, I, I get you. Uh, I, I think uh, all of us that are married have to back that up every once in a while and go, no, really, I'm, I'm not that weird. <laughs> he goes on about the Murphy Anderson episode. Because Mr. Anderson was one of the best of all time. His Atomic Night stuff is some of my favorite, and I'm honored to have uh, their first appearance. There are no words for the loss that this comic book community suffered, and I appreciate you putting this together. It's very nice. Uh, Rob did the, did the heavy lifting on that, and I, I really appreciate that, Rob. Thank you. Yep. We heard from our buddy uh, Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network, which includes like the Marvel Superheroes Podcast, the Idle Head of Diablo, Under the, uh, the Under Gods, Power of the Atom, Wonder Woman, all that stuff. So check those out. And uh, Frank wrote in, by the way, have you listened to Frank's um, March Manhunter 60th anniversary two-parter? No, I've not. It's exceptional. It's, and I'm not just saying it because I'm in it. Um, it's, oh, it's well, now I'm not going to listen to it. Well, it's, it's actually um, our interview with Dan Jurgens. Is it, it has a soundbite in there. Because when I asked him about um, uh, Bloodwind, that's what's in it. Okay. But anyway, oh, right, um, right, right. he took all these amazing clips from all over the internet and put together this wonderful celebration of the 60th anniversary of uh, Martian Manhunter. you got to check it out. It's really, really good. So, um, Anyway, uh, he goes on to talk about Mr. Bones. And he says, I first saw Mr. Bones in the promotional comic zine DC Focus in a panel from the Millennium Issue, smoking a cigarette and saying something like, push that button, pull that lever. Who the hell wants to live forever? How could I not like him? He's also proto-spawn by the way of Black Terror, which as a teenage boy was pretty cool. I dug him in Chase, where, the, where DC Johnson still wrote his dialogue in rhyme, but a more subtle form than the doggerel he was known for. Very cool. There you go. There's someone standing up for Mr. Bones. Nice. 
Uh, he says, uh, speaking of which, it takes a special kind of stupid to turn the parasite into a near nude, large, hulking, green skinned menace. The purple guy was one of the first Superman villains I encountered in comics, always have a soft spot for him, and it bothers me that other heroes borrowed a lesser version of him away from a number of years there. I just assume stick with the Neil Adams look from the 60s, but if he's going to be modernized, let's stay away from the sucky, leech, obese, obese venom take and hew more to Alex Ross's scary ass screaming man in a wrinkled garbage bag version. <laughs> I did like Alex Ross's parasite. He looked kind of like uh, like he was withering away a little. Hmm. It was really it was really creepy. A really creepy take. All right, I gotta ask because like I don't get the hate on the green version, the post crisis version, because my experience with parasite came from Firestorm initially. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't he just green instead of purple? He's got that stripe down the side, down his chest, which looks weird. It just, I don't know. It's like, why redo it? Why change it? For what reason? I don't know. It's okay. Apparently there's enough to hate there. Okay. Plus, I I plus the it. way they drew him on the purple, like his face was indistinct. It looked like he had like a hood on and it looked kind of creepy. And the green version, he just has a, just a face, a very definable face. To me, he's much less distinctive in the green version. Mm. Okay. I guess I gotta look up more of these purple versions. I don't know if I'm familiar with that. But he's right, the, the venom kind of succubus face he had later was just garbage. So. Right. Um, he goes, uh, you know those three this is still Frank. You know those three pack of comics they used to sell at grocery store and toy stores? Well there was this little thrift shop in Pasadena when I was growing up that made their own. And that's how I got two of the three Titans drug comics. I'm not sure they knew um, knew of a third until you guys I didn't uh, he didn't know about the third one until we brought it up. Which is kind of funny that this comic shop sold him free comics. But anyway, uh, perhaps not objectively in hindsight, but as a kid, I preferred Protector's look to Robin. Today, he looks like an NPC from the Champions role-playing game, but I like him for the nostalgia and old-school aesthetic. If not for the drug drama, which was his... (laughs) Because I wonder what his stance is on medical marijuana, is what I'm asking. (laughs) Very nice. Uh, Then, just some lightning rounds comments we got. Uh, Michael Wagner. Uh, said, best Sunday, Monday ever, Firewater Podcast, Who's Who, and Secret Origins. Nice. Uh, and Rob Size. <laughs> Heard from Paul Hicks, who from the Waiting for Doom podcast. Uh, he said, looking forward to the robust 30 minutes of discussion on Mr. 104. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Waiting for Doom, which is the automated uh, Waiting for Doom podcast Twitter feed. They actually have a, a, a con- um, self-aware robotic uh, Twitter feed. It's amazing. It's a, it's a sentient being. <laughs> being They call him Wilfred. Uh, he wrote in, DC Comics is puzzled by the sudden trending surge of Mr. 104, <laughs> which is what I think happened with Lady Cop last week. Uh, maybe well. so. Van Z, our buddy Al Gerding, wrote in, he says, huge day. I just made arrangements to purchase an original art page showing the death of the Red Bee. How awesome is that? Well done, sir. So jealous. And then he wrote in, Mr. Bones says, if you find yourself with sad and sob, cheer up fire and water style with Shag and Rob. <laughs> we got to get somebody to make that into a jingle. I love that people are doing Mr. Bones rapping. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Greg Arujo wrote in at Arujo one listen to the Who's Who episode of FW Podcast this morning, and suddenly I envision a scenario where Mon L joins the Supergirl TV show. That'd be a good way. I could picture Tom Welling as Mon L. Oh, no, nah, they wouldn't do that. That'd be that'd be a little too on the nose. Maybe. You know? yeah. I want to see Tom Welling as Superman on the yes, show. Yes, because so, so, so far Supergirl's been so subtle. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Uh, heard from our buddy Tim Wallace. It goes by Court Industries. He said, I'd nearly forgotten how much coverage Blue Beetle and his supporting cast had gotten the Who's Who updates. You're right. 
I kind of wish I could forget some of them. Um, we heard, then uh, just going to name check a bunch of people here who, who sent us nice comments on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Uh, Scott Christensen, Jeff Nelson, Alexander Osias, Zeb Oswald, Coffee and Comics blog. By the way, you should check that out. Uh, the Coffee and Comics blog's a new pot, a new blog out there dedicated to our heroic friends. Kyle Benning wrote in from King Size Comics, John Size Fun. He says, at uh, Firestone Fan and at Aquaman Shrine, who's who fans equals who jibs? Let me tell you, Kyle knows how to play me like an <laughs> instrument, okay? Uh, we've been talking about it for a long time. We need a, we need a phrase to describe who's who fans uh, or who, people listening to the who's who podcast. And he knows I have a sick fascination with the Marvel Star Wars series, specifically the little rabbit characters, the who jibs. I, I just love them. I think they're adorable. I want a stuffed... Uh, Pliffs so bad, and uh, so h- him implying that the Who's Who fans would be called Who Jibs was just a clever ploy to pull on my heartstrings. So thanks for that, Kyle. I I cried myself to sleep that night when I read that entry, when I read that tweet. We're here from our buddy Sports in Comics, which is actually the secret identity of my buddy Keith G. Baker. Keith has a fascination with sports teams in the DC universe. How cool is that? Like, he's been making, he's composing lists of all the various teams and stuff. It's fascinating what he's collected. It goes well beyond what's in the Atlas. It's really impressive. Anyway, he just, he just made a fun comment saying, Hi, life for the win! <laughs> From <laughs> overthrow. I love that. Uh, David Pascarella wrote in and said it was a nice tribute to Murphy Anderson. Thank you. And uh, a couple other folks we heard from Aaron Head Moss, who does the Headcast, the Task Force, G, uh, Task Force X podcast, G.I. Joe Real American Headcast. Thank you for that, Aaron. Heard from Dale Russell. We heard from David S. Gutierrez, and he says, can we get a full album of Rob Kelly covering 80s pop songs? <laughs> that would be the best ever. I would love that. They'd all sound like Shooting at the walls of heartache. Bang, bang. I am the warrior. There you go. There you go. I retract my previous statement. <laughs> uh, heard from King Tom. I'm sorry. Kevin Thomas King. He wrote and said, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. It's too late at night for this. Kevin wrote it and said, here's here's a card that came with my copy of the Teen Titans special that I had sent away for. And it's from the White House. It says, I am so pleased that you have written to request the new Teen Titans comic book. Everyone should be aware of the dangers of drug abuse. Please always try to have the courage to say no to drugs. Signed, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> now, a couple of weird things here. One, I can't, I can't imagine Nancy Reagan actually proofread this because, like, I imagine she'd be like, comic book? What? And then her signature looks like that of a four-year-old. It does. See, I would have written back and said, I didn't want the drug comic. I wanted the Judas contract. Do you have that? <laughs> so what? what is it? Now, I don't know what he's talking about. Though. He, said, he requested it from the White House. I guess maybe if your school didn't distribute it, you could ask for the White House for a copy. I, I don't know. <laughs> hey, Kevin, I need more information. So you're going to have to help me out, Brian. Then we heard from our buddy Sin, who's uh, on Twitter, goes as alias Scarecrow. He says, you forgot Magpie's secret. And then uh, he sent us a couple of snapshots of Superman actually pulling, like that crazy hair we talked about with Magpie. It's actually a wig. And he pulled it off, and you see her. It's like it's almost like Samson. It just saps all of her strength. He pulls her wig off. And she's just like, give it to me. It's not yours. It's mine. It's mine. You can't have it. And she just collapses. She's like, right. pretty things. I can't have pretty things. So kind of a sad, sad panel. And then Andrew Wycliffe. Uh, came in and said, there's no way Batman versus Superman is going to be cool enough to have a magpie reference with a frowning face. I agree. They should. Then over on the web, our thanks to Michael Bailey, uh, who gave us a shout-out on his Fortress of Baileytude website. And our thanks to Frank, uh, Diablo Frank, who gave a shout-out to us on his rolledspine.wordpress.com site. Thank you very much. Then, folks, uh, we're going to run through real quickly a list of folks that shared uh, the Who's Who podcast on their social media timeline. That means on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+. 
And I'm not talking about likes and favorites. I'm talking about they actually retweeted or shared or whatever. So thank you so much for helping to promote the show. It really means a lot to us. Um, this, this, this show is a real passion project for Rob and I. And having you guys along with us on the journey is just great. So here we go. Running through them, quick as we can. Aaron Head Moss, Al Girding, Ange, Between the Pages, Boosterific, Brittany Bassant, Buck Roulette, Buck Roulette, Chuck Rodriguez, Clinton Robinson, Comics, uh, Coffee and Comics Blog, Cool Robots, Dale Russell, David Pascarella, David Morgan, Derek William Crabb, Diablo Frank, Dr. G of Nerdology, Dread, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Flair Joe, G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast, Gialli Paglia, Greg Arujo, Guano Man, Head Speaks, uh, Paul Hicks, Iced D, Jay Babos, Jared West, Jeffrey Brown, Johnny DC, Josh Smith, Jay Slab, <laughs> Kichi Baker, Ken Rowe199X, King Size Comics Giant Size Fun, Cord Industries, Legion Bloggers, oh wait, that's me, uh, Lucia Desar, Louise, Maddie and Jazzy, Marodi80, Marta Del Rocchio, Michael Bailey, Michael Wagner, Mr. Perturbed, Nameless Geeks, Nick Gerujo, or Gujardo, sorry, uh, Otto Roctavius. That's oh, awesome. Great name, Otto Roctavius. Pulp 2 Pixels Podcast, Robert Lewis, Ryan Wing, Santa Mikey Flash, Signal Watch, Siskoid, Song of Jupiter, Stuart, Superman. Wow. Sin, that's great. He has his own ta- uh, hashtag. I mean, his own uh, Twitter handle. Sin, Test Force-esque, The Flesh Podcast, The Hammer Strikes, The Penultimate, Trash Flavored Trash, Trekker Talk, Waiting for Doom, Willie Yarborough, Yada Yada said... Yada 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 said... I don't it's know a Tumblr handle. Yeah, it's okay. impossible to figure out. It's Yada Yada said EGS, whatever. And then... Zomaga oh DC Comics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's an OMG. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's so yeah. funny. <laughs> um, by the way, folks, you know, if we've missed you and you've shared our stuff, I apologize. Just give me a heads up. Let me know through social media. And then, again, be sure to use that hashtag, uh, PoundFWPodcast. So now we get to the Yellow Dot Award, and we've got a problem. Um, I have said this several months in a row where we're not awarding Zoom. You can order any more Yellow Dot Awards. Unfortunately, the bastard just keeps earning them. So he's got to get it. He actually has earned a Yellow Dot Award and a Steam Award for the same entry. It's amazing. He's done something unthinkable. He, he's pulled a, uh, a Tom Hanks or something here. I don't know. He's like Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones has like like 37 Grammys or something. There you go. Um, he did, for the line it is drawn, he did a, a two-page who's who thing. One is of himself. He did his own Professor Zoom uh, who's who entry, which is a blast. Check this out again. It's over on um, the comic book resources page. The line it is drawn is number 268. It's over around Thanksgiving. And uh, he's got his own picture of himself, which looks fantastic. And then he did Steampunk. You know how we give with the Steve Award over on who on the Fire and Water podcast? He did Steampunk, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it is the combination of Firestorm and Aquaman. It is the sun. It is these two suns. It's Aquaman and Mara's son, and Firestorm and Firehawk's son, and they end up in a nuclear accident and merge and become one being. And it's called Steampunk, and it's frigging. Genius. Oh my gosh. That earned him a Steam Award and a Yellow Dot Award at the same time. Well done, sir. And then just for fun, he did a Who's Who entry for Super Duper, <laughs> which is this composite character. It's got Wonder Woman's head, Hawkman's body, uh, or flash, chest. Flash legs, Green Lantern, Green Lantern arms. Yeah, also a Batman symbol, yeah. and then the Wonder Woman lasso, and Hawkman wings. Is this a legit character? Is this yes. just a American yeah, number 31? Yeah, that's a real character. Yeah, mixed composite Superman look compelling. Yeah, 
<laughs> he did a who's who entry for that, so well done, sir. He says uh, that makes 12 entries, 15 pages in total, almost halfway to creating volume one of really, his own. I really feel like we're getting close to like an Indiegogo campaign or something. To for Zoom, you can polish this too. off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, Rob, that is in the books. Tell our friends at home where they can uh, check out uh, about 10 to 15 of these entries. Uh, that's the fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com page. And the email is firewaterpodcast.comcast.net. But, of course, most of you know that by now. And the blog? Fire, well, fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. All right. Uh, you can find uh, my friend, and I use that term loosely, Rob, over at aquamanshrine.net. You can also find him on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can find it under the Aquaman Shrine handle. You can also find him on Twitter under Film and Water Pod. You can find me at firestormfan.com. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, mainly, and then, uh, on those two. And then sometimes you'll find me on Tumblr and Google Plus and Instagram and Pinterest. So I think it's going to do it. Until next time, uh, this, this does wrap up Who's Who Update 87. So thank you for tuning in. And next month, come back for Who's Who Update 88, Episode 1. Until next time, who's next?
You know, Huntress, the pre-crisis Huntress never really appealed to me much. I'm more of a post-crisis Huntress girl. 